Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Player to Prospect podcast. As you can see, our guest today is Tyler Latore. He is the head coach at Westmont College, located in Santa Barbara, California. Tyler's experience, both as a player and a coach, allows us to dive into many different topics uh, surrounding college baseball, pro baseball, and honestly, even more for, you know, the youth athletes, uh, parents, and coaches of the world. Um, yeah, I'm very excited for you guys to listen or watch this episode. So let's not even dance around it any longer. Let's get to the conversation with Tyler Latore. Let's get this ball rolling. Um, yeah. I want to know what's going on today, right now, with you know your first fall in D2 and like what that is looking like. That That's the most like curious thing on my mind is like, What's it been like transitioning and like, how, how is that process going in like the beginning of the fall? I want to start there. Yeah. So we, uh, you, the process has been, um, been awesome to be a part of because we have, we're coming off of a NAI world series championship. Um, we graduated, mm -hmm. uh, 17 seniors from that group. Um, so we have 21 freshmen on campus that are transitioning from NAI to division two. So we've wow. got, um, more new players than returners on our roster. Um, that comes with a lot of challenges, um, but it mm -hmm. also is a um, refreshing start um, to this D2 um, transition for us. Uh, we have um, players from all over, all over the West coast um, that are coming here to Westmont and, and trying to um, stay up on education. Um, their students first, um, but also, um, transitioning for our returners to new compliance rules with practice times and yeah. um, new, new rhythms, um, new rhythms of different practice times and um, being flexible with their schedules. Um, but it's an exciting time. Um, and uh, oddly enough, um, we are we have an off day today and tomorrow um, because of our four day weekend of, of no school. Um, and I'm actually tonight going to be going to the Dodgers um, Diamondbacks mm -hmm. game two of the uh, NLDS. Um, and, uh, I'm a huge giants fan played for the giants for quite a few, uh, quite a few years. And, and uh, I was gonna say. I've never been to Dodger stadium before and really, not, yeah, I've never been. Uh, so I'm excited about tonight. Um, but, uh, happy to be here with you. So thank you for having me on. Of course. I mean, you've never been to Dodger stadium. That is shock. I think you're going to love it. You know, being, you. being a giants fan, obviously it's like, you know, you want to see him lose and stuff. But yeah. I, like the the experience as a fan there, it yeah. is pretty, pretty like lively, you know, like the fans really get after it. I'm sure as you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I've had a ton of people say say the same things that you are saying. And uh, just so happened that, you know, I stayed stayed in my Northern California to go watch games and um, never ventured out. Um, you know, when you're with the Giants organization, um, anything else that happens on the field is fine um, unless you're losing to the Dodgers. So. Um, mm. it's, uh, it's beat the Dodgers. Um, that's the, that's a mantra that came up through the, the minor leagues of, uh, playing for the San Francisco giants. So I will, uh, probably not be rooting for the giants, but, uh, um, you know, just looking for a good time. And we'll get back to like that pro side. Cause I feel like there's a lot of interesting topics we can cover with the sure. pro baseball side and how that's actually bleeding into college baseball. But I want to kind of backtrack into something you said first, which was yeah. the fact that you have like, what was it? 21 new guys coming in and you yeah. said, are those all freshmen or some transfers too? You said freshmen. Yeah. Right? So we have 20, we have 21 freshmen and uh, three yeah. transfers, three transfers, two junior college transfers and a, a division one transfer portal. 
So is that by design? Is that something you felt like you had to do specifically for this year? Like what was the kind of um, approach behind that? I think each recruiting year, um, you, you take a look at who's graduating, uh, what positions um, you're trying to find the right fit in the right spots. Um, something that mm -hmm. happened. So this is, I'm just starting my second year here at Westmont. So, um, you know, we had 17 seniors graduate last year, which is, okay, um, yeah. which is a big class. So, um, you know, we're trying to do our best to kind of even out and balance the classes. Um, but we needed yeah. to have um, a good young core come in with this transition to division two um, so that when we are eligible for playoffs here. Um, we have a two-year probationary period of, of compliance and, and getting up to speed with the NCAA. Mm -hmm. um, so that third year, so our freshmen this year, their junior year will, will be our first opportunity um, mm -hmm. to, for postseason play. Um, and there's it's a long way to go. Um, I, yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to say that we're going to be in a regional or um, in the conference tournament. Um, we're continuing to. Uh, progress towards that but it, it started with you know analyzing where uh, who were we losing on the mound who were we losing um, as position players and making sure that we were bringing in players that were going to push each other uh, to get better um, but also a younger crew um, that was going to push our older players to uh, to get better as well I think that that's a mm -hmm. healthy competition um, amongst our amongst our program that uh everybody's trying to get better um, individually um, to help the team. Um, and if, mm -hmm. if everybody goes out there every day to, to get 1% better themselves, um, they're benefiting the team. So when you have that kind of success, like you did last year, um, and you have a massive class leaving and coming in, yeah. does the approach for um, kind of reconstructing that success look like, okay, we know what that looks like. We're going to try and replicate that, or we have to scratch that a little bit. Um, we can take pieces from that success we had last year, you know, and try to apply it, but we can't try to replicate it because you can't replicate, you know, a team all the time. And some coaches, I guess I'm alluding to the fact that some coaches, they find a formula or a style or certain players that they like, and they almost even like recruit players that are similar to that. So they can keep reloading it in that role. Yeah. And then, and then once they see that that works, it's rinse and repeat. So, yeah, I no, I think it, I think it's very um, individually based. Um, I think um, at a division two school, uh, we are in the development business. Um, so when you recruit a player, you hope that they develop the way that you kind of foresee them to uh, maybe with with the talent they already have coming in, but then coming into a program that's going to challenge them and, and push them to be better. Uh, mm -hmm. I think every offense, especially on the offensive side, um, your personnel changes pretty frequently. Um, you know, we're not going to have the same um, production um, as we did last year. Um, our one, two, three, and five hitters were all seniors last year. So we're going to yeah. play probably play a different brand of baseball. Um, and that goes to um, who you recruit, where they are now, where you see them in the future, um, and not feeling like you have to, you know, overload new players with, uh, terminology or expectations that maybe they're not ready for. Um, mm. I think, I think freshmen coming in, uh, they obviously want to prove themselves, but also feel like they want to assert their, their themselves as everyday players. And I think there's a development, um, development steps that have to happen in order to be a, a, a good, a good 
not only a good teammate, but a good college baseball player. Yeah. Know, putting the bats together or, you know, even on the pitching side, like, you know, we, we probably brought in three, uh, we probably brought in five or six high school starters hmm. that might have to get used to the bullpen for a little while. Um, yep. We actually returned, you know, two of our starters from last year. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of those players that are coming in, they were the best players on their high school team. And now they come onto a campus where they're playing against 22 and 23 year old grown men. And they're realizing that they have to get better themselves, even though they were the best player on their high school team. So yep. I think that, that, mm-hmm. that, that is always there. Um, I think the messaging, um, has to continue to be, uh, growth, growth mindset. Um, our, our returners are looking forward to taking leadership roles and showing the new players what it looks like to be a warrior baseball player uh, here at Westmont. Uh, we, like I said, we, gr- we graduated a lot of seniors. So there was a lot of leadership in that class. So yeah. some of our returning players maybe didn't get that opportunity to be leaders and now they are. Um, so they're not only trying to solidify themselves as, as everyday players, but also as everyday leaders. And that takes a little, um, a little development and growth um, from us mm-hmm. as coaches to, to push our guys to, to be leaders. Um, but also we want everybody in our, in our, in our program to be some type of leader. Um, mm. And that's, that's something that we talk about every day and, and no job is um, no field job is too uh, low on the totem pole for a senior to do uh, show the ways and, and uh, you know, uh, the, the respect level that we have top to bottom in this program um, needs to be apparent every single day. And I think that that's constantly mm. changing. I don't think we can re- replicate what we did last year because last year was its own entity. Um, and we're going to have to play different. We're going to have to play differently. We're going to have to coach differently. Uh, we're going to have to develop, continue to develop. Um, and it's an everyday thing that we talk about um, from, from how we, how we approach talking to professors, working in our classes, study hall, um, preparing, mm preparing for practice, making sure that we have good transitions from offense to defense, from one drill to another, um, and just being efficient. Um, mm. And I think that that's, that's something that will continue to grow um, every single day, whether we're um, feeling like we're maybe moving forward too much and we need to take a couple steps back to make sure we don't miss some of those details mm. or, Hey, we're ready for this. Let's start to push, let's start to push the uh, um, you know, maybe the chaos chaos meter because baseball, uh, baseball is very routine based. A lot of players, a lot of coaches mm. are very routine based, but the game is not routine. The game oh, will, the game yeah. will, the game will throw you a curveball when you're least expecting it. Um, oh, and yeah. dealing with that adversity is something that you have to practice. And maybe a day where guys, you know, they they get, you know, in that rut of, okay, we get to the field. Here's the practice plan. We're going to go take ground balls. We're going to go throw. We're going to do this. Sometimes flipping it on its uh, flipping it on its head and doing everything backwards, kind of make sure that everybody's focused and and knowing that the game could change mm-hmm. in a matter of moments and how to deal with that change is, is as important as, you know, having those routines. And I think, especially with like a, a very large class of young players coming in, yeah. that is something that they need to learn pretty quick is that, look, you're more than likely not going to rise to your level of expectation that you're setting for yourself. You're going to fall down to the, you know, the level that your systems are kind of um, keeping you at, you know, your routine, like you're talking about it. That's the systems uh, that I'm alluding to. And I find that most young players 
don't have that kind of set in stone, especially when they get to college. You know, I like to think about um, like how our room, our, our bedroom is like the reflection of like, uh, you know, our level of organization in, uh, in life. And like, if you have a messy room, if you don't know where anything is at and you're, you're scrambling all the time looking for stuff and you, you have no idea what you're doing. It's like, oh my gosh, how do you even have time to focus on hitting or, you know, fielding or whatever it is, classes, like you're all over the place, you know? Yeah. So it's like, taking care of the little things is going to go such a long way. Um, and so you explicitly like make that a thing for the young guys too, I would imagine considering that class is so big. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think every freshman in America, whether you're playing a sport or not, you're going to have a, a, a very quick crash course in time management when you get to a college campus. Yeah. Um, when you have uh, the the stringent uh, course load that we have here at Westmont, uh, when you have Monday, Wednesday, Friday chapel from 1030 to 1115, um, mm. when you have, um, you know, you have aspirations of playing professional baseball or playing at the highest level that takes nutrition and planning out sleep. Um, and it all boils down to communication and building relationships. Um, mm. And uh, as a head coach, um, my goal is to to set a clear um, a clear vision of, of what the expectations and standards and the players, um, the returning players know what those look like and live them out every day. Um, so when you bring in a, a freshman class, like they should be able to pick up on it really quickly on what the rhythms and what the, um, what it looks like to be a student athlete. Now there's going to be bumps mm -hmm. along the road. Um, and there's going to be some guidance, uh, not only from me, um, but I think more importantly from our older players, I think when you have older players that, walk the walk and talk the talk um, and hold mm. players accountable. I think that goes a little bit further than me being um, the head coach that's on everybody all the time. And, and, mm. and in, unless you can build trust um, within your players that we have um, not only as older players and leadership um, on the, on the team, but as, as a coaching staff, mm -hmm. um, when you have um, trust built um, that this is not only why we do things, it's, it's how we do things. Um, and it's bigger than baseball. It's, it's setting yourself up for, uh, for life after baseball and setting yourself up mm. for, you know, finals week and setting yourself up for, you know, getting the opportunity to play in regionals, um, or a conference tournament when finals are going on. And, and that time management, um, piece is, is something that you learn really quickly when you mm -hmm. get to a college campus. Um, you don't have mom or dad telling you, Hey, you need to go do your homework or turn off the TV or the phone or, um, Hey, you need to go hit. Like if, if you think that you want to be a good baseball player, there is no extra work. It's the work, mm -hmm. uh, the yeah. work that it takes to be great. If, if you say that you want to do these things, but your actions don't, uh, depict that, then there's something missing. And as coaches, that's where you need to step in and, and provide guidance and, and hold, hold players accountable. They're like, you said you wanted to do mm -hmm. this on a baseball field. Well, you're not putting in the time that it takes. It's the right. same thing with the, on the academic side. You say you want to be on the dean's list, but when you're at study hall, I see you. You know, I see you on your computer or what. You know, if we have, you know, Monday night study hall and you're watching the Monday night football game, like that's a problem. Um, but there, there is also opportunities, and I, I think that it, it it needs to have balance. There is opportunities to still be an 18 to 22 year old young man mm. and have social life and have the opportunity to. Um, go down to the beach here in Santa Barbara and go play spike ball with your teammates and, and um, walk down state street and go grab a meal, go on a date, 
um, do all the things that regular students do, but just have in mind that it, that if you say you're going to do things, commit to those and mm-hmm. follow your your actions have to have to line up and align with those um, a lot more than just a few times a day. And I do think that that burnout is a very real thing. Some people can really overdo it. They can sure. think, okay, more is better. Yeah. Um, I've seen it time and time again, uh, yeah. both in the college and professional levels where, right. you know, a guy's like, he just lives in the cage and he's just beating himself to death, you know, hitting balls and trying to work something out. And sometimes you need to take a step away, yeah. <laughs> you know, clear your head a little bit and, uh, and like reset. And that's, that's also another like cool thing I think about baseball. And like you're saying, holding guys accountable is like, you always have teammates to consult about that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's like, you know, you don't have to, it's not all on your own. I know it, it does kind of sound like it, like we we're saying right now, like it's all on yeah. your own, but you have teammates too. Like yeah. you have teammates to have the similar goals. And when you can yeah. find teammates that, you know, maybe are on a similar schedule to use similar classes or whatever it is, you can also do that with them. You know, like you can, you can what's the saying it's um like if you want to go like if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far you, or go to, yeah if you want to go far go together something like yeah. that yeah. yeah it's like go together you know yeah. like you're going to enjoy the ride a lot more um, uh, and i think and i think um the the success that last year's team had um and the impact it had on our returners um the new guys that are coming in already have a, a an envisioned um kind of uh, starting point of where this team was last year and mm. we did it together and they know that we did it together. So there's already kind of that built in, um, you know, o- almost relatability or credibility um, mm-hmm. to we are doing things the right way here. So I'm, I'm going to try to um, see what that's like and ask questions. I think, um, you know, I think uh, the teenagers and young adults in general think that they can do a lot of it by themselves. Um, and that's not what life is about. Life is about um, the connections that you have with the people around you um, and aligning yourself with people that have those similar goals. If, mm-hmm. if someone, if, if someone doesn't have those similar goals, maybe that's someone that you can, you can kind of uh, push out of your life because they're just going to be a distraction for you. Um, mm-hmm. So finding, finding those options um, is important to us. And we have a group of players that are, have quickly come together, which is something special to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and be there for each other. Um, and as coaches, you want, you want to facilitate as much, um, humility as possible. Um, and what I mean by that is you, you have players that want to go, 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 go. And like you said, like zooming out, um, is something that I do quite frequently with just where this program is. And if we're just looking at the stuff that's five feet in front of us mm-hmm. or you know five minutes in front of us, we miss the bigger picture. And I think as college baseball coaches, um, the impact that my college baseball coach had on me mm. um, was was boundless. Um, and I am the I am the I am the coach. I am the person. I was the player um, that I am today um, because of my college baseball experience. And that's what we ultimately want is the, the our success as a college baseball coach. We might not figure out if we're successful or not until 10, 15 years from now. Yeah, uh, when those when those young men who come through your program are now um, in their community as as husbands and fathers um, and brothers um, in their community, and they come back and they you know they 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 tell you how much of an impact the program had on you. Mm. Uh, and I think I think that needs to be I think that needs to be talked about more. I think that needs to mm. be 
uh, structured more. Um, for instance, um, just last week in our fall ball practices, we were doing a very, a very close to as game like possible with base runners and live defense and cuts and relays. And, you know, we have all the position players out there and there's, you know, there's a line of three or four shortstops and there's a line of, um, you know, two or three second basemen, and there's a line of center fielders. And I think there's a lot of players, a lot of coaches, a lot of, um, people in baseball that just follow the ball all the time. When the balls hit down the left field line, everybody just watches the ball. I'd rather watch everything else and mm-hmm. and see how the right fielder is backing up a play or see where that base runner is. So we actually, as a coaching staff, talked about how not quickly enough our players were picking up on certain game situations. So the next day we actually did two separate teams in the same drill okay. where half the team was out there on defense and half the team was up in the stands watching the game going on and seeing how players move and where the base runners are and not Mm. watching the ball, watch everything else that's going on, watch the pitcher go back, you know, back up home. But then he needed to sprint over to the third base side because the Mm. the ball was getting cut from, you know, maybe being to, to home to being cut to third or, Hey, did you see where that runner was when the ball was getting picked up? We need to make sure that we're throwing to that base or throwing back door Mm -hmm. there. Um, and so it gave the players a different perspective of zooming out and not just being like, okay, I'm the shortstop. This is where I need to be. You need to know where everybody is, you know? And I think mm-hmm. that that's something that, you know, with, with the way that the youth levels are structured right now, it's, it's, it's very five feet in front of them. It's mm-hmm. I have a bat, I'm playing short, I'm throwing the ball to third, I'm doing, you know, I'm doing, I got to throw the ball as hard as I can because it's going to be on the radar gun. Um, no one cares where it goes. Um, our outfielders are finding really quickly that they need to throw the ball through the cutoff man or just throw the ball to second base. Mm-hmm. Um, what what losing baseball is, is letting runners take extra 90s. And on defense, we are trying to limit extra 90s. We're going to make errors. Everybody's going to make errors. But not allowing yourself to make the second, the third, a mental mistake after a physical mistake, mm-hmm. um, those things start to add up. So as much as you can zoom out as a coach, as much as you can zoom out and talk to the players about zooming out and maybe giving yourself a fresh perspective or talking to an older guy, I think those are all integral to this thing called life. Um, oh yeah. You know, there's going to be times where you're going to be driving home from work and and you're going to, you know, you just had a tough day and you got to be able to zoom out and be there for your family when you get home. Um, mm. There's nothing like having a tough day at the field to come home and see you have a daughter or son or a dog or someone just, not care that it was just a the terrible day and you, you have to be able to shift gears and and be happy with where your feet are mm-hmm. um and i think if, the more that we talk about that in in our program the the more beneficial our players will will feel like the program is providing for them and to uh parallel that for a college baseball player you're uh you know the uh, the kid or the dog that you come home to, it's actually just homework. Uh, yeah. So that homework doesn't care. You still got to get done that project, that paper, whatever sure. it is, like <laughs> you sure. still got to get it done. Sure. Oh man. That, yeah, I think that is, uh, that is, yeah, you're right. It is not talked about enough. That's for sure. Um, it's, and it, it affects so many players. And when you said uh, the five minutes in front thing, I immediately yeah. thought, yeah. And a thousand minutes behind us, you yeah. know, yeah. we're so, we're so five minutes in front, but we remember, you know, everything from the sure. last 30 ABs or whatever, or sure. the last outing that we had. And we sure. c- carry that along with us, but instead it should be flipped. It should be, 
you know, five minutes, but you know, behind us, right up. Oh, okay. Yeah. And flush it. And now yeah. we're in this AB and uh, you know, we're thinking about the process, right. We're thinking about yeah. how this is affecting the long term, and yeah. um, yeah, I mean, it's not easy, especially with freshmen, like we're talking about right now, yeah. uh, because they come in, they're expecting to make a, you know, big splash as a freshman yeah. and, and get the immediate playing time. And when they don't get that, it's like, Oh shoot. All right. Maybe I need a, change the scenery need to see a new place and you know skip over to the skip to the next town over whatever the next school and it's so that's built in that's built in that's built in with our youth baseball system in general right exactly and that you know if if i'm not getting if i'm not getting enough playing time or i don't like the way that that coach is coaching me or using me i'll go to a different team and i'll go to a different team and then you know at at some point you're gonna have you know you're gonna have to have a boss that you don't like, but you need to still provide for your family. What are you mm-hmm. going to do then? Are you just going to fold up shop and go home to your wife and just say, I quit my job and I'm going to go look for another job, but how are you going to make the rent payment or the mortgage payment after that? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, um, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of positives with where our, our youth baseball program is preparing these young men for, for college. Um, but are, there also are some downfalls and, and, um, you know, with the transfer portal now and, and JC baseball and, and division two baseball being really good and NAIA baseball being really good and division three being a very good option for, <coughs> excuse me, uh, academic players. Um, you know, I think, I think there's, there's, there's pitfalls, but there's also so much positive. So if we always stick to mm-hmm. the negative, um, we don't allow ourselves to, to, uh, glorify the, the good things that are happening in the, in the, the joy and some of the trials that you will go through and, and overcoming those and persevering um, through being a walk-on or the perseverance of being cut and, and actually putting yourself in a position where like, okay, I just got cut. I need to get better instead of just going to the next team to, you know, to go play some more baseball, like zoom out. What do I need to get better at? What happened to that situation? Mm -hmm. How can I better myself? So that I don't feel what I'm feeling now. And if it if it's something that you can't overcome, maybe go play football or basketball. But at at some at some point, you've got to look at yourself in the mirror and have some self-awareness to say, okay, I, this is not who I want to be. How am I, who am I going to use as a resource that can tell me the truth and not just tell me something that I want to hear and then move on for move on from that? And I think yeah. that there's power in self and self-awareness. I think oh, there's yeah. in, in overcoming the adversity of understanding that, Hey, I need to get better. Um, but getting better is not going and taking 500 swings off a tee. If the, if your swing's already broken, you know, I, I think yeah. There's, yeah. there's opportunities to, to better yourself. Um, and sometimes it's just stepping back and, and zooming out like you, you and I have both been talking about, um, but also finding people that you trust and that, that will tell you the truth and not just tell you what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's what you need, not what you want. And yeah. I've also been part of teams where um, players will, you know, I'll I'll say, dang, uh, you know, I'm not doing as well as I should or something. This is just an example. Like, I'm not doing yeah. as well as I should. And like, I feel like I'm not getting the opportunity I deserve or something like that. There's going to be there's two different teams. There's one where your teammates are gonna be like, yeah, man, you're getting screwed. You know, like, it's not your fault, dude, like, you're you're fine. And then there's yeah. the other team that's like, what are you talking about, bro? Like you're not yeah. playing as well. Like you're not playing well. Like yeah. you, you just, you're just struggling right now. You need to, yeah. you know, get to work. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, who would you rather have as your teammates? Come on. Like, 
100%. You don't want you don't want teammates that are telling you what you want to hear. You want them to tell you what you need to hear. Cuz okay. like you'll actually get somewhere. That's why I like Juco so much. If yeah. there was there was no BS. There was no. none of that. It was like no. We're not we're not here to coddle you, you know, make you feel special. It's like if you're not if you're not getting it done, we're going to let you know. We're going to yeah. get to work on that thing. Um and that's so important too. Like just just having people that are going to tell you how it is. Yeah. yeah, that, that kind of ties into like the fit too. If I'm like a high school player, yeah. um, like looking at a school, like, um, and the, the things that I have to compare, I think that would be pretty high uh, on my priority list uh, is, you know, how, how are you going to coach me? Yeah, you know, not can yeah. you coach me? Like, I think, I think a lot of coaches are capable of coaching, you know, yeah. kids and helping in the development um, kind of aspect that's so important you know every player asks about development how are you going to develop me right yeah. um and everyone naturally develops also through just maturing but how that happens yeah. um i feel like that is something a lot of players should be asking about is like how are we going to go about this yep like do you do you actually kind of talk about that with like recruits um or do you kind of just like like to show them like how how you guys conduct things um at westmont and then they can see for themselves and kind of um, make that decision on their own. Our biggest recruiting tool here at Westmont is our players. And as much as we can get our players in front of um, a recruit um, is going to tell us everything that we need. Um, Not only, I think recruiting sometimes gets to be not a two way street where Mm. we're trying to find the right fit, but also the players trying to find the right fit. And as a recruiter, as a head coach, I should be a resource to that to that player. Um, mm-hmm. Whether whether they come to Westmont or not, they know exactly what they're getting themselves into. Yes, and that that is honesty. Um, that is uh, it, that is over communicating. Um, but that's also like having each recruit come to campus, go to chapel, go to have lunch on campus with our players, go to mm-hmm. a class. Uh, come out to practice, be a part of our practice, watch how our players uh, respond to being coached hard, um, respond to being coached um, for the benefit of the team and maybe take a backseat to what your own personal goals are. Mm. Um, but that goes back to self-awareness in, in, in the recruiting side, having self-awareness on a, what level that you should be looking at. Um, Mm. everybody wants to go division one. Everybody should have aspirations of going division one. Um, but there is really good baseball up and down from division one, division two, division three, NAI junior college. There's good baseball all over and finding Mm -hmm. the right fit is so important. I attribute it very much to, I'm a very, I'm, I'm obviously a very big sports fan. Everybody that has talked about NFL quarterbacks getting drafted over the last 20 years is it doesn't matter what a, how good a quarterback is. It's about where they go. And, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you know, like you could be the best number one prospect coming out, but if you go to the Chicago bears, you are going to get ruined. Hey, you said you it, know? not me. <laughs> so I'm just like, that's just something that's constantly talked about, but why don't we take it over to baseball? Like if, 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 if playing this game is the only way to get better, anybody can go to the cage and, or go to the bullpen and throw, 50 pitches and work on your best breaking ball and get the metrics and get all this stuff. But yeah. Baseball is such a performance based sport um, that it doesn't matter how pretty your swing is. 
when and it doesn't it. it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how good your delivery is and how repeat how repeatable your delivery is if you're not a, a if you don't have the ability to have success in this game mm-hmm. um and everybody talks about how this is a game of failure it's not it's 50 50 yeah <laughs> I was about to say. if i fail you win that's 50 50 everybody has a 50 yeah. 50 so if we yeah, can yeah. if we can if we can allow our players to understand like we need to have self-awareness in the fit that we're at the fit that we're providing. We need to want our recruits to come and watch us coach our players. And it's not something that is um, inorganic where I'm, you know, mm. talking uh, and I'm a salesperson and I'm a, and, and I'm just trying to get you to come here. And then all of a sudden I'm going to be a different guy. Um, mm. Players and parents and recruits should smell right through the, that, that, that BS. Yeah. Um, and if you're not, you need to find people in your circle of making this decision that you trust. And they tell you, like, I've heard some not very good things about that program because it's di- totally different than what they say they are. Mm. And um, I'm not saying that we have our flaws as coaches. I have my own personal flaws uh, that I'm trying to grow with every single day. Mm. And getting back to what I first said, like our players are our best recruiting tool. Yeah, Come out to practice and watch us play. See how humble we are. See how we react to failures. See how we embrace each other as teammates. Um, walk around campus and see that on a campus like Westmont, our baseball mm. teams stick out and have a presence that is 100% a positive right now. But it could quickly go the other way if we bring in guys that don't embrace what Westmont is about. Mm-hmm. And we have a strong presence on campus. Everybody knows the baseball team whether it's, whether it's great or whether it's wrong. Like if you're not participating in class and you're showing up late and you're not going to class, I'm going to know about it. Um, and that's mm. not a positive, that's not a positive um, depiction of what this program is. Yeah. So on the recruiting side our like, we want all of our recruits to come to campus and, and embrace and, and, and see what it's like. And if they decide to come here, they know exactly what they're getting themselves into. And mm-hmm. if they don't decide to come here, I'm not the, recruiter or the head coach that goes oh well you know he wasn't the right fit for us anyway he found he found the fit for him and hopefully you know they made the decisions uh you know the right way Mm -hmm. um but there is there is there is a lot of um a lot to say about finding the right fit and making it sure that it's a right fit for everybody involved Mm -hmm. Uh, it's expensive to go to school at westmont we try to provide academic money and baseball money and federal grant money to make it as affordable as possible so that a player that deserves a shot to be, to have a, uh, to go to a school like Westmont to have the, um, an impact on their lives, both academically, athletically, and spiritually, they should be warranted those opportunities. Mm. Um, and it shouldn't be, be, be based on money. Um, yeah. and that's where it gets back to the self-awareness of, okay, well, how much, what are we looking at financially as a family? What are we looking at athletically? Let's be, you know, let's talk to some of the coaches that we have in our life. Like, where do you feel like it would be the best fit for us? Mm-hmm. Um, and the games and the division one games changing with the transfer portal and NIL and uh, especially here on the West Coast with, the you know, um, the, the Pac-12 schools now going to the Big 12 and the Big 10 and the ACC and, you know, um, the, the the landscape of college baseball is changing rapidly. And if you're not mm-hmm. up to speed with what's going on, if you're a freshman that walks on campus at a at a power five and you don't perform, they're going to the transfer portal and they're getting the mid-major stud to come to their power five school. Yeah. It happened, it happened at Sac State this last year where I was 
I was the recruiting coordinator the year before, and we brought mm-hmm. in a freshman, um, and he had a all American year, and he's at Arkansas now. Yep. You know, it, it just it, yeah. it happens. Um, mm-hmm. And at the same token, you know, there's there's five other six other players that ended up in the portal, and they're at Power Five schools now too. So, um, you know, having Crazy. some having some like. I know it's been a common theme, but zooming out and seeing the big picture of what is happening in college baseball mm-hmm. uh, is vitally important to finding the right fit and and putting yourself in the best position to succeed. Mm-hmm. And um, like you mentioned, how there's there's great programs in D1, D2, D3, oh, yeah. NAI. There's great programs in all those levels. There's also like programs that are constantly struggling. Yeah. And you're you're almost always you know gonna be happier going to a program that has a history of success you know or a history just a history of you know or, or good reputation i guess i should yeah. say yeah where it, you don't you don't even have to ask that many questions to figure that one out but yeah, yeah like you said you do got to ask questions you got to ask those questions um and yeah transfer portal god it's perpetuated like such a <laughs> crazy world and, now and, and just like it's, we talked about earlier i think that i think as much as much as negativity has happened for the transfer portal i think it's actually helped some players too i'm oh yeah 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 so there's there's definitely some positives to it um but i think getting back to a- asking questions like asking questions and and making sure that you know if you're buying a house you're going to make sure that there's a uh uh an appraisal there's a there's a uh inspection that happens there's a 30 day escrow, there's things that need to, you know, there and committing to a school that you haven't shook the head coach's hand and looked in his eyes and been on campus. Um, that's not, that's setting yourself up for, you know, uh, you know, a hail Mary, um, you know, yeah. and, there, and, and, and who's not to say that sometimes you need to bet on yourself, you know, there's, you know, you really want to go division one, you, uh, you want to bet on yourself. You're going to a program that maybe has a new coach, um, or has struggled in the past, like there's, there's still opportunities for you to bet on yourself and mm-hmm. everything doesn't work out perfectly. Um, so making sure that you're just, you know, what you're getting yourself into, you know, what's at stake. Um, you at least put yourself into a position to succeed and bet on yourself. I think everybody has to kind of do their own thing and, and not mm-hmm. listen to how so-and-so's recruiting process was, or how this guy's process was, or, Hey, this mm-hmm. guy went to this school and didn't really like it. Well, you know, maybe you, maybe you will like it. You know, it's everybody's their own person. I think, mm-hmm. I think you have to, you have to really, you have to really hone in on what you want and who you are and, and mm-hmm. what you ultimately stand for. Um, because life, life doesn't care, you know, life doesn't care that you're, you know, you're not feeling good about what situation you like, make, make the situation you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And you guys have to do that too. As coaches, you guys have to look at what you want and yes. I'm actually very curious if there's yeah. if there's a specific thing that maybe it's recurring, maybe it's not. But for you, it's something that you will um, you will pinpoint. You'll say, OK, um, like if this if this is, you know, a part of this player, um, regardless if I'm interested in this player, like he's a very talented. It doesn't even matter if this is going on, like my interest is gone. Like I, I just can't recruit a player that does X, whatever that is. And for you, it's the easiest way to say like okay yeah I, I i cannot recruit this player because of that because I, I feel like every coach has like something that they look for maybe that um that makes them go oh man i i really want this player but yeah. i feel like there are also a lot of things that players do that can yeah. get them crossed off you know on the clipboard and yeah. they don't even know they're doing it yeah 
Uh, so, so I think there's, there's two things that come to mind. The first thing, mm-hmm. uh, the first thing that comes to mind um, is the GPA at a, at a school like Westmont. Um, when that thing yeah. comes, when that thing comes, you know, to, to push comes to shove when we're, we're trying to get, um, you know, players into school or trying to provide them with opportunities, um, you know, that GPA, um, some, sometimes those doors get closed really quick without even, you know, seeing a, a, a player throw a pitch or hit a ball. Um, the other thing is we want players that want to be here. Um, if I have to continually text or call or, you know, pry or, mm-hmm. um, you know, really call the high school coach, like, Hey, so-and-so is not calling me back. Like I want players that are eager to be here. I I'd rather, I'd rather mm-hmm. have a player that is so bought into what Westmont is about. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's, there's instances where, you know, we're recruiting against a few division one schools and we might have to wait a little while to see hear, hear what they have to say about that. I, we're going to go a little bit further. Um, there is value into making sure that we're recruiting um, the best fit possible. Um, but I want players that want to be here and want to mm-hmm. come through our center field gate from our locker room and are so excited to be on the field, to be with their teammates, to put in the work that it takes to be really good at something. Um, and that starts in the recruiting process. Um, if we have to overpay, if we have to um, – over recruit i i got i don't know what that not, not over recruit in the sense of like we're trying to bring in 60 dudes that i'm talking yeah. about just the, the instance of feeling like i have to be the one that's driving the communication yeah yeah that that might not be that might be not be the fit um because you know i can go to area code tryouts and i can see all all the good players and we can know what it looks like and we can recruit them all it doesn't mean we're going to get anybody from area code trials, but you still, you, you know what it's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously at a division two school, um, we are trying to maximize the the talent level, but there also has to be a floor and a ceiling. Um, and sometimes that higher floor might outweigh the higher ceiling um, on I a see. player. Yeah. Um, and so we c- continually try to find the right fit for our roster at that time Um for instance, right now we're recruiting left-handed hitters um, and we want to bring in a couple more left-handed hitters to go with some of the righties we have. And there might be a really good right-handed outfielder, shortstop, infielder, catcher that mm. is right-handed. And we might have to pass on them because, you know, we have five of those guys on the roster already. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't think it's fair to the guys that you've recruited and already have on campus to continually trying to, um, you know, put the same player right behind him. I think there, there mm-hmm. has to be, there has to be diversity amongst your roster um, so that you're multidimensional on the field and not just, um, not just one way. Um, I see. But uh, you know, I think, I think, you know, getting back to those two things you asked, you know, GPA is going to open, the, keep the door open or close the door really quickly. Yeah. Uh, that's not to say that a 3.3 or 3.4 GPA mm-hmm. um that throws 95 miles an hour, uh, we're going to turn that person down. Um, but there are just like in the recruiting process, there are checks and balances to, um, you know, a lower GPA might lead to, um, you know, more of a hassle off the field at campus where we're, it's taking our time away from who we are and what we're trying to do. Um, Mm -hmm. because we have to worry about him going to class every day. Um, a GPA in high school is very, is very, uh, reminiscent of who that character is like getting back to what you said about, you know, 
cleaning your room and making your bed and and having a, a clean a clean tidy room is usually a clean tidy player off the field which is a clean tidy player on the field very rarely do you have someone that takes care of everything on the field and is terrible in the classroom or someone that you know is is organized and and detail oriented in the classroom that is terrible at baseball um, it, it works, it works hand in hand. So it's yeah. all important. It's all important to us. Um, cause at the end of the day, as, 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 as college coaches, we're putting our faith into 18 to 22 year olds, making the right decision. Yeah. <laughs> as crazy as that sounds, it, does. Uh, it, it, it's, it's what keeps us up at night. If we yeah. do a bad job, if we do a bad job of recruiting the wrong people, um, it's going to keep us up at night and we're going to be wondering when we're going to get that email or the phone call that says so-and-so did something to, to, um, themselves or somebody else that was not, uh, not what Westmont baseball is about. Are you able to like change where you go in terms of where you recruit or the, the events that you go to because you're now in division two, as opposed to previously in NAIA? Yeah, I think I, I think unjustfully there is a stigma around NAI baseball compared to NCAA baseball. Um, yeah, you know my my experience last year at NAI baseball, um, we were facing dudes. I mean, there was really really good baseball. The the talent level is not a big drop off from NCAA to N- NAI. Um, to be honest with you, I like the 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 gameplay of NAI a lot better than NCAA, and I'll tell you why. Um, mm. At NAI. Uh, you can uh, re-enter for your starter. So if I have a starting shortstop um, that we're playing a doubleheader, we're up, we're up, you know, ten to three in the eighth inning, and I pinch hit a freshman that needs to get some at bats, and then he plays the last two innings, and then all of a sudden the game starts getting closer. I can re-enter that starting shortstop back into the game. So <laughs> I was giving, you know, I was giving opportunities to some younger players uh, last year that if we were playing division two baseball already, they probably wouldn't have gotten those opportunities because a, they didn't play defense well enough uh, compared to the starter. And we need mm-hmm. to make sure we close out that game. Um, but also, but also, you know, just the opportunities that it gives to, you know, some of those younger players to actually play the game and not just watch and sit around waiting for their opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's an old man's game. You know, it, you can see it cr- across the board at on the division one side, like everybody is 22 years old. They're in their fourth or fifth year. They that might be in their second school. Um, and, you know, it coaches are pushed so hard to uh, to have wins in the win column that yeah. instead of maybe taking it on the chin and playing a freshman for, you know, 50 games, but it's going to better them in the them in their sophomore and junior year. Mm hmm they're more apt to go to the transfer portal or go with an older guy um, who's a little bit more trustworthy and maybe gives them a better opportunity to win games. Um, But yeah, I think, I think that the NAIA game was, was really fun because it was a little bit more like national league where I was moving guys around and I was giving guys opportunities. um, Mm -hmm. And you know, there's a courtesy runner for the catcher. So there might be a freshman base runner that I want to put in there and, you know, I, I can have them run for the catcher and then the catcher just goes right back into the game. Like there's mm-hmm. opportunities everywhere. So, um, you know, I think a lot of our players on this year's roster are going to get, you know, a, a, a different game game style and they'll have to understand that they better bring their glove every single day if they're going to want to get opportunities because you got to play defense and we got to pitch um, and hitting will come and, and go and 
Uh, we want to be as consistent with the hitting as possible. But if we've got, you know, a five run lead in the in the seventh inning, we're not subbing down because we need to make sure that we close this game out on defense. I was going to ask actually about the team last year, um, whether it was more of an offensive squad or, you know, pitching and defense were the strong suits. Um, what did that look like? Yeah, so we started out um, all year long. We were pitching and defense was is what won us baseball games. Yeah. Um, and early on in the year, um, we struck out a lot. Um, whether it was um, approach, um, getting too greedy, um, feeling mm -hmm. like you could hit every pitch or, you know, maybe hit for a little bit more power. Um, but I think we were, you know, top five in the country on defense. We were, you know, we set a whole bunch of records on, on the pitching side. Mm. But what won us our tournament, what won us our national championship was our relentlessness one through nine. Um, and what mm. I mean by that is, it didn't matter if we were in the nine hole or the two hole or the six hole, we put so much pressure on the other team with our base running and our approach of, of being a tough out. It changed the complexion of, of our entire, entire season. Mm -hmm. um, because then it bled into our, you know, our defense playing a lot, a lot stronger and our pitchers would stay in the dugout a lot longer. You know, it wasn't, you know, 10 pitch out, 10 pitch inning and we were back out there. Like we were mm -hmm. relentless with our bats um, and it was, it's, and sometimes it wasn't even with our bats. It was with our eyes because we set our, we set a school record in walks. Um, so, um, we were putting so much pressure on, on teams, defenses that, and offenses that guys were going to the bullpen way earlier. Um, starters were out in the third or fourth inning. Um, and at, at any level of baseball, the more that you can put pressure on the bullpen, the more that you're going to expose maybe arms that aren't prepared for that level or prepared to face our lineup. Um, so, yeah. uh, we went from being, we, we were very good on defense all year long. We were very good on the mound all year long. Um, mm -hmm. but the process of where our offense was at the beginning of the year to where it was in the back end of the year, and it wasn't anything, it wasn't anything earth shattering. We started to strike out less. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, I think in, uh, end of March, early April, I think we were hitting 270 as a team. And when we went into Lewiston, we were hitting 300 as a team. Um, so we went up Jeez. 30 points in the last month and a half, and it was just purely based on striking out less. That, I'm hmm. 100% just striking out less, putting more balls in play, uh, hitting the ball, um, hitting the ball in the barrel more. The more pitches you see, the more comfortable you're going to get, the more mistakes you're going to get. Um, hmm. So um, that's the way our, our team was built a little bit last year. It was, it was fun to be a part of. So when your team was striking out um, a lot more in the earlier part of the year, you said maybe it was more approach or getting greedy. Yeah. Uh, what was the adjustments that you guys made to that? Um, or, you know, did you make any big adjustments or was it like, no, guys, we're going to stay the course? It was a little bit of both. I think solidifying yeah. a lineup, um, you know, solidifying, you know, the regular nine guys. I think we were moving. We had a lot of seniors on that team that right. you know maybe had a lot less playing time towards the end and and, and they weren't. You know, I know they were frustrated with their opportunities um, that were the less opportunities that they were given. Mm. Um, but we settled we settled in on a lineup and everybody kind of got the got the gist of of just making making their at bat more about the team than themselves. Yeah. And when you do that, you ultimately have better numbers. You have better performance. Uh, something we talked a lot about was leaving it better for the person behind you. Mm -hmm. So if you were up to bat and you ended up having a 10 pitch at bat and you ended up getting out, you still put pressure on that pitcher to throw 10 extra, you know, five, six extra pitches so mm -hmm. that the guy on deck, you know, maybe the guy's a little bit more fatigued 
Um, if there was a runner at first base and we read ball and dirt and we moved up a base, now all of a sudden there's more pressure because we're on second base and not first base. And that's going to mm. leave it better for the person behind you. Um, so that that's, that's something that we kind of talked about a lot is, is just grinding out at bats. Um, that doesn't mean, you know, that grinding out at bats doesn't mean that you are ready to absolutely smash a two Oh fastball. Um, but also, you know, not getting too big to where all of a sudden you're getting a two Oh fastball, you're fouling it off. Then you're getting a two, one change up. You're, you're taking that first strike. And now all of a sudden you're two strikes and now, you know, they have bats over like our guys really, really grinded, um, grinded their at bats. Um, they knew, um, I know we touched a little bit about this in the, in the recruiting process, but having mm-hmm. self-awareness, mm-hmm. self-awareness of how you can impact the game. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are a guy that can run and you're continually trying to hit the ball over the outfitter's head and you continually pop up, that's not a good recipe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so having self-awareness on how you can impact winning, um, is, mm-hmm. was, was integral in, in our offenses, um, change, um, to playing winning baseball. Um, you mm-hmm. have to be multi-dimensional in the game of baseball. If you play and you only, you, maybe you're a power hitting team and the wind is blowing in and you've got a dude on the mound, um, or maybe you're a power hitting team and you've got a crafty lefty that knows how to change speeds and move the ball around. What are you going to do? Show up to the field and just say, okay, we'll, like, we'll get him the next game. No, you have to be multi-dimensional. Even when the, you know, wind's blowing in, it's raining. You got to be able to score runs. Mm-hmm. Now, if the wind's blown out and, um, we've got some guys in the lineup that can hit the ball over the fence or like, you, we got to do that some days and we got to have the self-awareness to be like, okay, I can make an impact right here by hitting a three run Homer and getting us back in this game. I'm going to hunt this pitch and mm-hmm. I'm not going to miss it. Yeah. Um, because that's what the team needs right here. We need a jolt of energy and needs to be a, you know, a big blast. And I'm not just going to, you know, put the ball in play just because I'm, I don't want to strike out anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it was a fear. I don't think it was str- like talking about striking out less it was more about um, winning baseball and playing winning baseball. Mm. I feel like in today's day, you know, an age, especially with um, technology now coming yeah. into a, you know, major play with recruiting um, and how hitters might say, oh, my max exit velocity isn't, you know, one oh whatever. Sure. Um, I can't hit home runs if I can't get my exit velocity up or I'm not going to be recruitable if I don't hit the ball hard. Yeah. Um, I feel like that can kind of distort, uh, you know, a high school player's perspective on like how they can be recruitable as a bat. Yeah. Um, because it's not just based on power. You, you can't have nine power hitters in a lineup. Like that's that formula just more than likely is not going to be sustainable um, and, and consistent. You know, so uh, it sounds like you guys do that too. You guys have, you know, you have a balance. You need a balance. So you got, you got a couple power hitters. Sure. You got, you need guys that get on base. Uh, I think, uh, I forgot who said it. It might've been uh, Tom Walter at Wake. He was like, you have guys that, you know, get on base and score runs. And then you have guys that drive in the runs. Yeah. You know, so is that, so is that uh, also bleed into like the recruiting piece of it too? You're like, okay, yeah, maybe we have enough power hitters like already. Like we need to go get some guys that, get on base, steal some bases, even, uh, you know, and, and like cause havoc, you know, maybe in a different way, as opposed to just hitting home runs. Yeah. I think that's all that's conversations that we're always having is, is how are we going to better the team? And I think like uh, this year's lineup is going to be drastically different than last year's lineup. And it's going to have some of those same players that were in last year's lineup, just in different roles um, because we had Mm -hmm. some guys graduating. Um, 
but I think it's important to, uh, to, as a coach, to take on the personality of, of your players and to be able to uh, adapt your own coaching style to what you're seeing. Um, our mm -hmm. roster right now is going to be the roster in the springtime. Yeah. Now, do we want to continue to get it better and continue to develop and continue to 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 pour into our guys on on how the, each of them are going to be better in their own right? Yes. Mm. But continually trying to get, you know, if you're recruiting guys that maybe have some swing and miss and you're constantly getting mad at them for swinging and missing, that's not their fault. That's on our fault. That's our fault for recruiting too many swing and miss guys. Yeah, yeah. So, um I think I think having having the perspective as a head coach or someone that's running the offense or some that someone that's running the pitching of maximizing what you have right mm -hmm. now, but also looking into the future on where are that where are our players now and where are they going to be tomorrow, mm -hmm. three weeks from now, a month from now, into the spring, into the summer, going out and playing summer ball. Where can we put them in the best position to continue their growth? Mm -hmm. um, but I know for a fact that there's multiple things on the offensive side that I can impact as a coach. One, one being seeing the baseball and being on time. We talk yeah. about those things. The two things that you should always talk to yourself about after an at bat is, did I swing at the right pitch? And was I on time? Mm -hmm. Those are the only two questions you you should ask yourself. Mm. Uh, now on the other side, I'm very passionate about base running and I am, we are going to take every single bit of inch that we get, out on the baseball field, base running, whether that's uh, stealing bases, going, uh, get, reading ball and dirts, uh, going first and third, knowing where the outfielders are playing, uh, knowing, knowing when to move up, knowing when to tag up, knowing when to all those things. Like we are so detail oriented on the base running side that mm -hmm. I know for a fact that if we're not seeing the baseball, we are still going to get on base and we're still going to have the ability to score runs just by knowing how to base run. Yeah. Uh, and so those those things are something that are going to be constant. Now, how we score runs is going to change all the time. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, uh, we are going to I want to maximize our lineup for that day against that pitcher, against that other team. Um, and if. I, as a head coach, am not preparing our players um, enough to give them opportunities on the field. Mm. then that's on me for not preparing them. If we have a guy that doesn't hit breaking balls very well, and I, and I start him against a guy that throws 60% breaking balls and he goes out there and he punches out three times, that's not our player's fault. That's mm. on me. If we have a pitcher that doesn't hold runners very well or doesn't field his position very well, and he throws a, a bunt away uh, down the right field line and gives up a stolen base, why on earth would I get mad at that player it's all on me. Will you tell you know? them that too? Yes, you have to. You hmm. have to tell the players that I'm putting you out there because I trust you that you are prepared for that situation. And in yeah, doing yeah, so, yeah. they should have extra confidence in themselves that they are in there for the right reasons and hmm. not just in there because their parents paid, you know, donated a bunch of money or they're on a bigger scholarship than the walk on or, yeah. you know, that I, that person works harder because they go to the cage more often. That's not, that doesn't have any bearing on anything. Mm. I want to win baseball games, relationships that are going to last a lifetime. Don't come when you're 10 and 38, you're going to build lasting, lasting, yeah. lasting relationships. <laughs> and you're going to love your teammates when you're winning baseball games. Yeah. One of our pillars is to have fun. 
It's not fun when you're getting beat every single day and you, and you are walking back to the dugout while someone else is shaking hands on your field. So Hmm. you have to let those, you have to be honest and you have to show that you care about your player's development because you're honest with them and you build trust with them Hmm. through honesty through the ability to coach and communicate with them on, Hey, we need to really hone in on this because it's going to help you be a pitcher. That's going to get innings. Yeah. You need to be a better hitter. You need to be a, the reason why you're not hitting right now is there's only one DH and you don't bring your glove to the field. You need to get better on defense. And these are the things that we're going to do to get you better at defense. Mm-hmm. It's not, Hey, go take more ground balls or, Hey, you need to go to the cage and you need to swing more. It's, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And I'm going to be there with you all the way down, all the way down the line. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give up on you. Mm-hmm. And in the more that you can tell your players that the more investment they're going to have in your program and the more investment they're going to have in their teammates, because they're going to hold each other accountable to the mm-hmm. standards and expectations of this program. Now I'm curious if you have a preference for on the flip side, what you want the yeah. player to do, because yeah. I feel like there might be a trend of, uh, you know, younger players being more curious or wanting to ask more questions because they have more information at their disposal that they can almost challenge, you know, what you're saying with something that they find. Um, Now there's that type of player, but then there's also the player that's just like, yep, yes, sir. All right. Go into it. Like not going to say a word, you know, Um, do you have a preference or you've, I'm assuming you've seen both of those types of players work, but have you found that one type of player or the other um, is like more um, beneficial or or tends to like get the work done or see improvements quicker? Yeah, I think I think it's um, I think it's the first thing as, as a coach is okay. I need to make sure that I build a relationship with every single person. Yeah. So that I know what type of person they are. So if they're the question that wants all the feedback and wants all the information and wants all that, Mm -hmm. I got to be able to communicate with them differently than I would communicate with the guy that's just going to go down there and take 500 swings after practice because they went over four. So you have to be able to communicate with both those individuals Mm -hmm. and both those individuals, in my opinion, have value not only to the team, but to our program. Obviously the, the, the starting shortstop, the starting center fielder, the Friday night guy, the closer, the starting catcher, they 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 hold more value to the team. Sure. Than the redshirt freshman, the you know, the the backup to the backup to the backup second baseman, they have more value to the team. I believe that their value from starting shortstop to to third string first baseman have the same value as a person in this program. So okay. I owe it to them. I owe it to their parents who are um allowing them to be a part of our program to Mm. show that I'm going to give every single ounce of my being in coaching to, to maximize who they're going to be as a person. Mm. So I need to be able to communicate and be able to understand who, how each person reacts to questions, um, to authority, to me telling them what I think is the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also have to have the humility and understanding that there might be a player that comes to me and asks me a question that I might not know the answer and not trying to skirt around it and make it about me. The hmm. best thing you can do as a coach is say, I don't know, but I know some people that will help me with this and I will get back to you. Mm-hmm. I think that is, that is huge in this whole scheme of life, being mm-hmm. able to not just 
throw words out there and not know what they mean or uh, coach in a way that maybe you're not, you don't believe in the way that you're coaching. Hmm. I have to be authentic to who I am and my authenticity as a coach will be instantly seen through if I'm not who I am every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, And getting back to your original question, sorry about the preface of, of everything I was just talking (laughs) about, but I'm going to maximize who that player is and how they think, feel, and perform. Um, I might have to individually go down with a player and actually show him what it's supposed to look like, whether it's video, whether it's video of themselves, video of a big leaguer that looks like them, um, Mm -hmm. a video of someone that I've had in the past of being a teammate um, or, uh, you know, someone that was a, a previous player of mine, like, Hey, this really worked for this player. And I, I see you very similar to him in the way that you, uh, you know, visually see things, auditorial, uh, hear things, um, because there are so many different ways to, of learning a skill. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's just the repetition. Sometimes it's the tweaking of a mechanical issue, or sometimes it's strength. Sometimes it's focus. Sometimes it's uh, consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a coach, you have to be able to diagnose the issue <laughs> and then backtrack. Like what is, yeah, causing, yeah. what is causing this issue? Yeah. Hey, stop. Hey, you need, you're flying open. Well, the question needs to be, why am I flying open? Yeah. Why? Why? Yes. Why? Like, okay. Yeah. Hey, I know I need to stay closed, but something is happening, whether it's in my brain or whether it's in my body, that's not allowing me to stay closed. So if mm-hmm. you're constantly telling, you know, telling a, a pitcher to stay closed or do like, sometimes it starts with, you know, keeping your heel more connected or, you know, there, there's things that as a coach, you need to backtrack and you, Hey, this is, this is going to clean this up. And this is why it's going to clean this up mm-hmm. by anatomy, by biochemistry, by uh, m- mental thoughts, or just, you know, placebo, you know, mm, like yeah, sometimes yeah. even having a placebo effect um, will help, will, will help with that. So there's internal cues, there's external cues. You have to be able as a coach to understand who you're working with, um, you know, telling a guy, Hey, you need to, you need to go, you know, take a hundred more swings off the, off the machine. And if the guy says, yes, sir, he's going to go do that. Is that the best for him? Sometimes mm. I just tell him to go home. <laughs> like sometimes you just need a break. Like, yeah. Hey coach, what did you see with my swing today? Uh, well, did you swing at the right pitch? Did you, were you on time? No, I've swung at some bad pitches. There's nothing wrong with your swing. You didn't swing at the right pitch. Yeah. Come back Stop tomorrow, <laughs> come back tomorrow, swing at the right pitch. And now all of a sudden you're like, Hey coach, that was awesome. What did I do different? You didn't do anything different, but swing at the right pitch. Yeah. So you, you yeah. there's, there's some, sometimes it's simplistic. Sometimes it's multi-layered. You have to be, you have to be high, like very much a hybrid coach in order yeah. to, you almost have to be half psychologist and half coach. Kind of, yeah. And I think the take home for the players too, um, be, because uh, it's really important to highlight the fact that, you know, me, I'm pitcher A, and then you have pitcher B right here, and we have the same issue. You might yeah. tell us the same cue, and we're going to, we're going to hear it in totally different ways, and we're going to react in totally different ways. So not only is it beneficial for you to be able to communicate the same, um, you know, correction or whatever it is uh, yeah. in different ways yes, uh, to get the same result, but then also for the player to say, okay, what kind of player am I? Like, how do I take in information really well? 
like we're talking about the self-awareness stuff. It's yes. like, ask yes. yourself that say like, okay, what kind of player am I? How yeah. do like, how do I learn the best? And I would imagine this would serve you guys pretty, pretty well. Cause you don't have to go through the whole process of figuring this out. Right. The player should just go, Hey, I'm the one that, you know, I want you to just tell me everything, like just lay it all out, you know, or, yeah. um, I need you to let me ask questions about this. We need to, you know, we need to experiment a little bit here. Yep. Um, or, or you just take uh, complete control of everything that's going on. Like just kind of tell them, like it would, it would be helpful, right. To just say like, this is the kind of player that I am. And this is how I like to learn. Like, yeah, you know, uh, this would help me. So no doubt. I don't know. I don't know. Cause I, again, uh, this coming from experience. Yeah. I feel like I didn't do that a whole lot. I, I didn't, I wasn't good about like, Hey coach, this is like how I like to learn, you know, yeah. uh, probably until junior college, actually, when uh, my junior college pitching coaches were like, like, what do you, what do you like to do? What, how do you like to throw your bullpens? Like, what do you like, yeah. what's your process like? Like, how do you like to learn? What do you like to work yeah. on and stuff? And it's like, wow, I wasn't even asking all those questions, like until yeah. I got there and like realized that, you know, I had to figure out how I like to learn. Yeah. So, yeah. That, I guess that's my like little take home for, for like the, the players that are listening. It's like, you got to figure out like what, what makes you tick too, in terms of how you learn. So and I think the best coaches I've ever been around and the coaches that have coached me the best are the ones that have the ability to ask a ton of questions and maybe not give a lot of answers mm. and make make the player figure it out on their own. Cause there's no better <laughs> feeling than going down to the cage and kind of, you know, being asked a question of like, man, why do I keep doing that? And then you actually figure it out on your own. And mm. maybe it was just as a coach, like just planting that little seed of like, Hey, I can get a little bit better, whether it's my mental game or whether it's my routine or my focus, or maybe just a little bit of a mechanical tweak or timing or whatever it is, and be mm -hmm. able to figure it out on your own that hits, that sinks in and it resonates way more than me as a coach, just telling you what you need to know and go do it. Cause yeah. there's, there's going to be more buy-in. You're going to have way more buy-in and you're going to have a way better experience amongst your players when they figure it out themselves. Yeah. And as a coach, if you're always the one that has all the answers and you're always the one that gives all the answers, then you're just building robots and you're just, you know, saying, hey, I'm going to I'm going to create this robot team and they're going to do everything the way I tell them to do it. And there's not going to be any, you know, freedom to go out there and just play baseball. It's a you have to play the game. You can't just think the game's just going to play itself. Mm. If that hmm. makes sense. It makes sense. I'm trying to think about um how that affects like who you go see or when you go see guys because obviously there's camps versus yeah. tournaments yeah. Uh, or showcases yeah. and it sounds like to me the best way to to get you know the best um depiction of a player or or perspective on a player is just to see how they play in games Right. I, I mean, I, I would, I would, I would argue that the best is to go see them practice. See, okay. To see that, to see the energy that they have in practice, to see how they react to coaching, to hmm. see the, how they react to uh, other players on their team, how the players, how their, how their teammates react to them. Um, hmm. I think all of it matters. I think as a head coach, that's putting my, my livelihood, my house, my, family my daughter like i'm putting all yeah. of my eggs into a basket of 18 to 22 year olds like it's my job to make sure that we know exactly who we have walking into this program because mm -hmm. it could turn like that mm -hmm. um i could recruit 
the right kid for our right program and miss out on him going to one of our rivals in our conference, let's say that we we're going up against Point Loma or Biola or Azusa Pacific or any of the schools in our conference, and we miss out on one of our favorite recruits to that school. Hmm. If it's a starting pitcher, he might beat us one time a year. Yes. If it's a hitter, he might, we, if we play four games, he might beat us for those games. But if we recruit the wrong guy and bring in the wrong player, that player that turns into the cancer is going to beat us every single day. Yeah. So it, as it doesn't recruiter, take many, it honestly takes one a lot because of time. then they communicate to the other one. And you're, like you said earlier, like, Hey, you're getting screwed and you're, this is the reason why you're getting screwed. And this is, you know, that, 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 yeah. that yeah. permeates through that permeates through a clubhouse quicker than anything else that can happen. Yeah, so it does. When, I, when we go out and recruit, we're, we're talking to high school coaches. We're talking to travel ball coaches. We're talking to their, their recruiting advisor. We're talking to major league scouts. We're talking to rival high school coaches. I want to see them practice. I want to see them in games. Mm. Um, if we can see them in a bullpen, we get like, you want, you don't want to leave any stone unturned. And mm -hmm. with some, now, do we, um, you know, we have people in this game that we trust, um, on the coaching side, um, we have players, you know, there's, there's coaches that, um, you know, travel ball coaches and, and, uh, are great. Uh, high school coaches are great. Uh, scouts are even better because they don't have an invested interest, whether, you know, they're getting, they're not getting paid by the individual. Uh, they're not getting paid by the program there. So there's, there's mm -hmm. multi-layer to this recruiting piece that needs to be, uh, sought out by, by the player and their family. How do mm -hmm. you want to be perceived as a person? How do you want to be perceived as a player? Um, I'll give you an example. I was at, uh, there was a, there's a tournament every summer, um, in Fresno, uh, called the Buchanan high school tournament. Um, yeah. It's all mm -hmm. high school teams. There's yeah. no, tra there's no travel teams. It's all high school teams. Okay. So I, it's, it's 110 degrees. I'm watching this pitcher throw, um, his, 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 uh, his defense is struggling a little bit behind him. Uh, he's the umpire's a little bit tight behind the plate. Um, I had already been in contact with this player. Um, and his grandfather came over, obviously I'm wearing a, you know, my, the college I was at, I was wearing their polo. Um, and so he, the grandfather came out and said, Hey, you came out to watch the wrong game. He's not, you know, he's not fully on his game. And I, I said, I'm, thank you for, thank you for coming up and asking me, like, I'm, I feel like I'm at the right game to see him. I want a perfect game to see him. It's the perfect game. I want to see how he reacts to his teammates making an error. I want to yeah. see how he reacts when he goes into the dugout and he tries to get his, his teammates to, to get back on board. I want to see how he reacts to a bad call by the umpire. Those are the things as a, as a recruiter, those are the, those are the deal breakers. Everybody mm -hmm. can go watch a player and say that guy can hit that guy. I don't need a stopwatch to tell me a, a kid can run fast. I don't need a radar <laughs> gun to be like, man, this guy's throwing hard. You know, like if, 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 if we just based all of our, uh, all of our recruiting off of metrics and, and, you know, the, the, the tangible things, we would not be a very good team. And that's what we're trying to create. We're trying to great, create a team of individuals that are all pulling on the same side of the rope for a greater cause than just winning baseball games. Mm. They're building lifelong, like lifelong friendships. They are building, uh, they're building up a program that is bigger than themselves. Uh, they're going to come mm. back 10 years from now. They're going to come to the alumni game and they're going to talk to our current players about how much of an impact this program had on their lives. And that's what we're, that's what we're, that's what we're doing. And we have to continue to do. 
Um, because the only way that I believe that I can coach is somewhere where I'm excited to go to the field every day. Cause I have a group of young men that are focused and, and wanting to develop the best they can be both on and off the field. I mm -hmm. get excited every single day to go to work. Um, and the day that I stop doing that is the day that I need to stop coaching. Mm. I feel like that's something too, that is kind of a big separator actually that I see in high school guys um, because it persists throughout college as well. Sure. Um, that ability to get knocked down, you know, one AB, right. And then come back the next one and make an adjustment, um, not uh, waver in any way. Yeah. If anything, you actually turn the, turn it up a notch, Yeah, you know, kick it yeah. into another gear even. Yeah. And, and persevere a little bit. Yeah. Um, like you said, it's not a game of failure. It, it's kind of more a game of managing failure and like yeah. dealing with failure and limiting yeah. failure. Yeah. Um, like, I think that is something that I see, like, I, I, if I see that in a high school guy, I go, oh, he actually has what it takes to be a pro. Yeah. Especially yeah. with, you know, schedule and everything. It's like, oh my gosh, the, the games, like just the sheer amount of games, like yeah. there's no doubt you're going to get punched in the face a few times during the season. Like, it's about how quickly and how well you get back up right. like from that punch. Right. I mean, is that something you look for? I know you, that is something you look for, but um, I mean, that's gotta be one thing where you see that. Yeah. And you're like, that's, that's big. That that's a, that's, that's a game changer. And those are the, the players that are few and far between that when you see it, you just want to hold on to it. And you're like, I'm not letting you go. Um, mm. Those are the, those are the program changers. Those are the, um, uh, the thermostat, not the thermometer, you know, uh, the mm. thermostat in the room sets the tone, uh, a thermometer in the room just kind of goes with the ebbs and flows of everything. Like we want mm. a team of, we want a, a team of, of thermostats that set the tone. Uh, you want fountains, not drains. Um, you know, mm. you, want, you want, you want energy givers, you know, you want people that are outpouring to their teammates, not ones that suck the energy out of the lineup by, one mm. bat at bat turning into two bat at bats turning into the worst day possible. Um, you're, but you're a hundred percent, right? Like you have the ability as a baseball player to um, make up for um, maybe one of those failures. And it's not by trying to do more in the next at bat. It might be playing defense and not taking the offensive ba bat to defense. Um, mm. uh, lit, you know, maybe encouraging a teammate um, to, 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 to pick you up um, and maybe a teammate taking it upon themselves to pick you up. Um, so those, those, those are things that need to be addressed and talked about so that when it mm. does happen, people understand why it's happening. Mm -hmm. Like, why are, why are we, why are we building a program like this? Um, why are we, you know, why are we putting ourselves in this position to succeed? Um, it's because of X, Y, and Z so that people know where to go when things aren't going right. If, if there's yeah. so much, if there's so much inconsistency with a coaching staff, if there's so much inconsistency with the messaging from the head coach to players, if there's inconsistencies from the leaders of the team, um, then everybody's kind of just walking around confused on why are we, why are we winning these games? Well, the reason why we're winning these games is because X, Y, and Z, why are we losing all these games? It's because we're not taking care of X, Y, and Z. So there's, you have the ability to make those, you know, those, one game, you know, two game losing streaks into just a two game losing streak and not a four game losing streak. Mm -hmm. And it allows you to take those, you know, that three game, lose, that three game winning streak, having a loss and being able to start another three game winning streak. 
because mm-hmm. you understand why the margins of errors that you have in the game of baseball and getting back to neutral. Mm-hmm. If you're always in neutral, you have the ability to, to, to take every pitch for what it is in that one pitch. And everybody mm-hmm. talks about the mental side of the game of slowing the game down and going pitch to pitch. We talk about that stuff, but really, what does it mean? Yeah, like, it's ta- it's talked about so much. Oh my, and there's so many different sayings for that stuff too. Yeah. And uh, I think everyone also um, can can use that in a different way. Sure. So some people they might uh, it might be like basketball. I'd like to think of like a shooting guard, you know, a three point specialist who he is chucking up balls like every single game and whether he goes four for 12 or eight for 12 from three, it's like, all right, he wasn't thinking about that first miss or the, or the, or how he just made it. It's like every, he's got to have a short-term memory, you know, it's just, he's just shooting, you know, that's his role. It's just, this shot is going in. That's all I'm thinking about, you know, or, and this is something I like to do anytime I, you know, the leadoff guy gets on or I walk and get the leadoff guy, something like that. I get in a tough situation. I'm like, all right. I guess this is the big test right here. Second, third, no outs. All right. Let's see if we can, uh, let's see if we can throw up a zero. That'd be pretty cool. Huh? Like, yep. Yep. I'm not even worried about what I just did. It's like, okay, I've created this potentially really cool opportunity where almost the expectations are, are like low or really negative. And you can like exceed those by, by um, doing the unexpected. And like, personally, I really love those like situations, but those are two totally different things and you kind of have right. to figure out like, what do you, uh, how do you operate best? So, right. Right. No, that's huge. I think that's a, that's vitally important to, to just development as a human. Yeah. Um, okay. Wait. Oh, well I was going to ask about like the best way like players can get seen, seen by you, but you kind of mentioned it like, yeah. well, you mentioned practice. So, I mean, that's kind of hard to, how does, does a player, like say, Hey, like come to my practice or like, is that something like, how does that work for you? I mean, I think that, that that's communication. I think the best thing is, is to, to show up when the player doesn't know you're there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be, you idea. know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, you know, anybody can to know that, you know, you're at a, you know, you're at a travel ball tournament or you're down in Arizona at the senior fall classic and every coach is going to be there. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to, I want to gauge what kind of player you are when no one's watching um Mm -hmm. and the way to gauge that is you know you communicate with the coach or you communicate with um you know as many people as possible and you find out that you know practice is this or you know hey uh you know as best you can um and i think it's i think it's important to just to check all the boxes it's just like it's just like a recruit trying to find the right fit on the school side like there's boxes that uh he or she needs to check to 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 pick a, school a versus school b mm-hmm. uh, it's the same thing with re, with us and recruits like you know uh, there's got to be a there's checks and balances to to you know building a roster um and mm-hmm. having the right kids um young men come into this program um but if if we have the opportunity to go see a player um you know for us for us you know being in santa barbara we can easily get down to southern california um you know, uh, right now we have, we're in the middle of our fall. So I think it's important to have our coaching staff here as much as possible. So, you mm-hmm. know, sometimes at the division two level, some people don't even know this, but you can actually work out with the team in the fall. You can actually, as long as you have a, a physical and a sickle cell test and you have your transcripts into the NCAA, you can come up and you can practice with our guys, full practice. You can, wow, like, yeah. catch. you can take ground balls. You can be a part of our full practice. You can take batting practice with our guys. You can inter squad with our guys. Um, mm. So 
I think that's uh, that's something that we try to utilize as much as possible, um, especially mm. if we're, you know, I'm constantly getting calls from, um, you know, people like, hey, I've got the right fit for you, um, but we're in Colorado. And it's like, well, how am I supposed to go out and watch them in Colorado? It's like, well, if they're really, really interested in Westmont and this is a school that's a fit, come on a visit and you'll work out with us and you'll practice with us and you'll we'll be able to evaluate as you as a player, but you'll also get to evaluate us as a program and, and feel like if this is the right fit. So I think, mm. um, you know, you can't do that at the division one level, um, at the NAI level and the division two level. I think you can do that. I'm not sure about the rules on D3. Um, that's the only, that's the only level I haven't coached at. Um, yeah. but I think it's, I think it's important to, to try to see the player in any, in, in all situations, as many, as many situations as you can, mm-hmm. um, and talk to as many people as possible. So it's kind of hard to go based solely off video because obviously video is so like so prevalent these days. I mean, kids whole Twitter profiles will just be video or like, you know, their stats and it's basically just their recruiting page now. Right. Um, But it sounds like it's kind of hard to say, okay, like he's doing all this. I can see all the numbers, whatever it is. Like he's doing great. Yeah. Let's, let's give him an offer. Like, I don't know. I've, Maybe that's just, um, you know, your your preference that that you can't just do it off of that. And I know some coaches will do that. Like I was recruited off of that, like out of junior college. Sure. It was like, sure. yeah, we saw the video, we did our due diligence, we asked around, yeah, uh, we heard good things. So it's like, yeah, yeah we're we're bought in. I yeah. mean, like, how often does that happen? How much video are you looking at? You know, to a recruits, like, what is the weight that that like carries uh, for you? Uh, it's it's kind of like. Uh window shopping um okay kind yeah, of like yeah. walking by a store and being like oh that that's that's cool looking i'm gonna go try it on yeah but if you walk in there and you don't try it on and you don't look at the price and you just go buy it um you might miss you know you might miss on it um so video is prevalent uh, obviously covid changed all that um speaking from being a division one coach during covid where we couldn't go out and see anybody we missed a lot video yeah doesn't tell the whole story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I've definitely learned from some of the mistakes I made of, of following up with as many coaches as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe, you know, one of the things I actually notice now all the time is when you're watching a pitcher um, in their videos is how many times they're in the stretch and there's usually a runner on second base or they're in the windup and there's a runner on second base. Like if they're in the windup, there's a runner at second base that means the bases are loaded. And why are the bases loaded? If you're throwing 94 miles an hour, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> you have to follow that stuff up, you know, that, you know, right. yeah. you know, uh, we get videos of hitters all the time. And, and now when I'm watching a hitter and videos, like I'm actually watching the pitcher and trying to gauge like what kind of stuff, like, you know, is he throwing, is that pitcher, is he throwing hard enough? Is he, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I think, it, like getting back to what I said, it's window shopping. It's, it's okay. I've seen, I know what it kind of looks like. I can see the pieces. I can see the physicality. I can see some of those things. Now let's dive in. And that that's the starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, in your, in your case, I've been in ten, a ton of those cases. I see the video. I trust the, the, the junior college coach. I trust the program that he's coming from. I mm-hmm. talk to the high school coach, know what high school he's coming from talk to some of his travel ball coaches, talk to some of the people, maybe I'll call, you know, uh, 
you know, if you're in Northern California and you're in the big eight and I can, you know, see what you did against Delta, because I know they have arms that are, you know, thrown pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I can see how you reacted to some of those arms, like just, you know, recruiting the program, the, the player from the right program and understanding, you know, where they're coming from. I think those are all steps in the process, but if mm. we just watch video and we just throw out offers, we're going to miss more often than we get. And missing, missing in this, especially at a school like Westmont, it just, it turns a program that has a very positive influence on our community and it can turn it upside down really quickly. Yeah. I'm kind of curious now if catching or the catcher position is the hardest one to recruit without seeing a player because pitching, it seems like it's sort of cut and dry. Like you yeah. said, you can, you can sort of see that video and look at the, yeah. the peripherals and say, okay, yeah. what's going on here? You yeah. know, and you can look at numbers, whatever yeah. it is that they provide. Yeah. Catchers, it's a little bit less concrete. Yeah. Like you really got to see how they um, interact with other players and, you know, um, talk to their pitchers, especially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and also you have a catching background, yeah. of course. So, I mean, that obviously has to be like super important to you. Uh, do yep. you recruit catchers differently because of that too? No doubt. Um, yeah. Catchers, the catching position is definitely the hardest. Um, to be honest with you, it's also the hardest to have multiple players because really when you have a catcher, like you want them to just be a catcher. It's not like an outfielder where you have three different spots. Mm -hmm. There's usually only one catcher that plays at once unless you have a special player that can, you know, catch and play first or catch and play a different position. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like you can bring in five catchers and be like, oh, I can play all four of these guys. It, it, it doesn't work like that. You know, you bring in four outfielders, you can play three of them. Um, yeah. So uh, it's, it's definitely hard to continue that development process when you're not playing games. So, um, you know, playing in the game is going to give you your best feedback of, of how your preparation is. Mm -hmm. um, but on, on the recruiting side, like, we have to be able to see how when a catcher comes back to the dugout, who they're talking to, are they talking to the pitching coach? Are they talking to the head coach? Are they communicating? Are they non-verbally communicating? Are they, are they the leader that everybody looks to? Mm -hmm. um, everything's going wrong. Everybody's looking at the catcher. Uh, every single position on the field is looking at the catcher. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no pitches off for a catcher. So seeing, uh, seeing a player not take any pitches off, uh, seeing a catcher uh, have the communication skills with the umpires, um, showing good bad body language versus bad body language, taking it in a bat and going to the field. And, you know, you have a bat at bat, you run back to the dugout, you put your gear on and you run back out there and it's just one throw. You got to throw the ball down to second base and it's nowhere near second base because you're still thinking about the at bat before, like that's yep. going to be an issue. Yeah. Um, so those are just things that you consistently look at, um, you know, how, how, how are, you know, pitchers responding? Um, because as a, as a catcher, you're a servant leader to the pitcher, you're a servant leader to your teammates. Mm. Uh, you know, very rarely do you get a player that is a level, a level, a plus plus behind the plate and a plus plus at, with the bat. If you get a catcher that can hit and play and play, um, you know, play the position at a high level, they're usually going to a high level D one or they're going to pro ball. So yeah. you have to be able to kind of find that balance of, you know, maybe they need development on this, this, and this um, so that we're going to develop that, but they also already check the boxes on the other, on the other side of it. Um, mm. And usually the defense has to outweigh the offense. Um, yeah. 
by far. Now we go to uh, the automatic ball strikes in the big leagues. Then it goes to college. No, you know, no, please. No. You know what I mean? So I so, don't know if you want that. I don't want that. Not at all. That's the only, yeah. reason, <laughs> that's the only reason why I got to play pro ball for as long as I did is because I, I was, I, I, I knew how to call pitches. The pitchers like throwing to me. Shadow uh, zone stuff. Yeah. Some like strikes. just, yeah. Yeah. Just, just keeping strike strikes, having good rapport with the umpires, um, mm. calling the right pitches. It's the only reason why I stayed in the game for so long playing was because of my ability. Uh, it wasn't because of my physical abilities. It was just because mm. of my intangibles of, of being a coach on the field. Um, yeah. If yeah. you take away the ability to receive and call pitches and, and do those things, players like myself don't get opportunities anymore. So for high scores, I guess, or may- maybe actually, I can frame this a little bit better sure. um, for your current catchers. Do you yeah. have any non-negotiables where you're like, okay, guys, if you can't do this, like you're not seeing the field like this, this is a standard that we have to meet, you know, as a catcher in order to be a competent player uh, at Westmont. I don't think it's non-negotiables. I think it's more of a conversation of like the reason why there's, there's gotta be, if you're a catcher on this team, there's already some prerequisites in the recruiting process that we vetted out to make sure that you are, okay. you are up to the task. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I'm doing a youth, ca- uh, youth catching camp, the first question is, uh, do you know what you call a catcher that doesn't catch the ball? And, you know, kids say dropper or, and I just say right fielder. And, and you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like a one, a one grade for being a catcher is the ability to catch the baseball. Yes. If we are, if we are consistently having our back to the field, whether it's a ball that we missed or a ball that we can't block. Um, if we mm. are, if we are uh, taking strikes away from the pitcher, if we are, uh, if we are um, losing strikes because the umpire is mad at us because we're over framing a pitch and mm. getting yelled at, the, the umpire doesn't not want it. Doesn't wake up in the morning and go, okay, I can't get wait to get yelled at today by one side or both, Ugh, or yeah, or parents for that matter. So and you play if, a role in that. No doubt, that. the catcher plays yeah. a role in that. So if you're consistently trying to frame and make a ball. That's four to five inches off the plate, look like a strike, and they're hearing <laughs> it from me in the dugout, yeah. or they're hearing it from their the parents that are sitting behind home plate. That's not a recipe for being a good a good uh, a good mentor to the game, a good uh, representation of what this program is. Yeah, uh, yeah. But there, but it, it all boils down to two things, and I think it's very simple on the on the catching side. Okay. okay? If I'm, if I'm bought into being a catcher and I'm a servant leader to that pitcher, whatever that pitcher needs from me on each given pitch, I should be able to facilitate that. Mm. Whether it's a good target, whether it's getting in good position to keep strike strikes. Um, I think that's a huge thing that is missing at the amateur side of this. And obviously big leaguers and minor leaguers are way better at, at uh, stealing strikes and they should be because they are doing it at a way higher level than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the amateur level, we should be teaching to keep strike strikes. Mm. Yes. Do we want to get three inches off the plate? Yes. Do we want our pitchers thinking that they can get three to five inches off the plate? No, we want to keep them over the plate because there's going to be an umpire that's going to be tighter. And if you're used to getting five inches off the plate and you're not getting that anytime, the pitcher is going to be ticked off. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, if you're not being a servant leader to that, that pitcher and your, pl- and your teammates, then you're not going to be a catcher in, in our program. 
If you mm. feel like you have to work more on your hitting than you do on your, on your, on the position of catching, and you want to put more time into the hitting side, you're not going to be a catcher that consistently plays. You have to, you have yeah. to build up so much trust with your pitching staff that no matter if it's pouring rain, bad umpire, good umpire, um, 120 degrees outside, uh, mm. 0 for 4, 4 for 4, that you're the same player every time that goes back there, that your teammates look and trust in you, then you're not going to be a consistent catcher for us. Okay, now I'm curious because you, you said, you know, this is obvious that the pros, yeah, they are definitely better at, you know, receiving the ball um, and just catching in general. Um, yeah. But when it comes to receiving, I, yeah. that is the, the huge jump that I do see between, you know, the pros and, and the amateurs. Why do you think that is? I mean, is there, is it just an instruction type of thing? Is it a philosophy thing? I mean, uh, like, is it a strength thing? I mean, I feel like, and, and we are seeing, obviously there's great catchers at the college level every single year. Um, but even back down to high school, like I can tell when a kid's a high school catcher, even if he's a great high school catcher, there's just something I see where I'm like, all right, yeah, he just, the framing isn't as clean or something like, yeah. like what, like what even is that? And, and I don't know, maybe you can re recollect uh, a coach you had that kind of helped made it click for you on like the receiving side, um, back yeah. when you were playing. Yeah. So uh, a couple, a couple things to that. Okay. Yeah. So, so first of all, uh, analytics in major league baseball has shifted its thought process on the impact of, of pitch framing at the big league level. Yeah. So there's more of an emphasis on uh, getting as many strikes as possible than maybe blocking a baseball or throwing a runner out. Um, hmm. the analytics have showed us that there's a major, there's more of an impact being made by uh, high level receivers than high level block and throw guys. So hmm. with okay. those metrics, they're the catchers are more apt to try to steal a strike than maybe get themselves in a vulnerable position to actually be able to block or throw a, a runner going out. Now at the collegiate mm. side and the high school okay. side and the amateur side, mm. the impact of 90 feet, whether it's a ball and dirt or a stolen base, it has more of an impact than the big league level. Yeah. If yeah. we have a runner at first base, and we don't block a ball or we don't, we aren't ready to throw a guy out that's stealing the impact that it has on our game at our level is so drastically impacted because it's going to change the signs. It's going to put our defense in a different position. It's going to put more pressure on the pitcher because now he has a runner on second instead mm -hmm. of a runner at first. There's yep. so much more of an impact on 90 feet at the amateur level than on the pro side. If, if Craig Kimbrell is on the mound hmm. and he gives up a stolen base, he doesn't care because he knows he has strikeout stuff to strike the guy out. It doesn't matter if there's a runner on second base. The mm -hmm. other day he even balked purposefully to let yeah. a guy go over. <laughs> like you can't do that at the amateur level. You can't. What was do the it. situation again? I actually I saw it on like pitching ninja intentional buck, Craig Kimbrell. And I'm like, what? What? What happened? Dude? Base runners at second base. Uh, he tips pitches with a runner at second base. So he'd rather have the guy at you have like an open glove or something. Glove or the way that he approaches it or the signs or whatever whatever happens. Just tips. He just tips pitches with a runner at second base. So if he can have hmm. not have a runner at second base, he's okay with that. Wow. Okay. <laughs> which which you can't do at the amateur level. You we don't. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. There's too much things that are happening. Okay. So first of all. 
about the kid, the the impact that 90 feet has on the big league game compared to the to, compared to the amateur game is vastly different. Sure. Second of all, pitchers in the big leagues or in professional baseball have a little bit more sense of where the ball is going. So as a catcher, you're putting yourself into a very vulnerable position because you know that where this pitcher is going to be throwing the ball, I'm going to try to get this ball to be a strike and I'm going to move the pitch with regards to what that pitch is doing. Mm -hmm. And I know that when he does miss, he throws it in this vicinity so I can put myself in a greater margin of error. At the amateur Mm. side, the ball could go anywhere at any time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can – it's very, very hard to put yourself Uh in a very one-knee stance, a very vulnerable, uh, a very weird position to not be able to block the ball. Mm. I also think that goes into the fields that you're playing on in professional baseball. The fields that you're playing on, they've got a layer of – a layer of – top uh top layer layer of turfus that's very, a little bit softer there's not as many bumps and turns and everything so you know where the ball is going to bounce and you kind of know where it's going to go after that the last thing and i i i truly full-heartedly believe in this um uh, is umpires at the big league level and at minor and the minor league level they see so many pitches and they are even they're even pro at being umpires that they actually track the ball a lot longer so they can be fooled by where you catch the ball as a catcher. That's where the art of, of pitch framing has elevated because you are actually, you are actually uh, toying with the umpire's visual of where you actually caught that ball and where it may have crossed the plate. Mm, Okay. At the amateur, at the amateur level, I believe that umpires actually use the glove of the, of the, catcher as a prerequisite to where that where that pitch crossed the plate so mm, see, if i'm okay. a catcher and i take a pitch and i move it six inches and i catch it here the umpire sees you moving that and actually thinks that you're trying to make a ball look like a strike okay yeah so it doesn't even matter it, it's not I don't even relevant it, I don't think it matters at the high school level. I don't think it matters at the junior college level. Now there might be some things that like you're, you're constantly moving the ball and you're constantly like, it's very consistent with what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. But I've had umpires that when you move your glove, they are going to ball it because it looks like you're trying to make a ball a strike. Okay. That's and so having that communication, yeah. but I think at the, at the major league level, the umpires have seen so many pitches and they actually track the ball all the way to the catcher's glove that they can see that glove movement and they actually are tricked with their visuals. Whereas Hmm. an umpire at the, at the high school level, they actually take more into account. They might lose track of the ball and then they pick it up. And that's where they, that's what they, when the ball is caught, that's where they deem where the strike ball and strike is. That's so funny. That's why you get six inches off the plate because the catcher went like this and stuck it and they, (laughs) they ring them up all the time. Yeah. Cause they're like, Oh, he hit a spot. So it's gotta be a strike. Yep. <laughs> That's so funny. I always think about like the Little League World Series when the kid sets up literally on the other batter's box, but he like oh, it happens nails all the, time. the spot. <laughs> happens all the time. I'm like, wait a minute. What did this guy see that we that we're not seeing? That's crazy. Um, crazy. I remember back when I was pitching in college, um, I had I had three catchers my senior year actually who I, I pitched to. Yeah. All of them for me at least, uh loved to go on one knee. Uh, yeah. especially because I was a sinker ball guy. So if I throw yeah. it down, down and away sinker, you know, yeah. they just set up outside, li- like put that glove basically on the ground. And, and like, that's where I'm throwing. Yeah. yeah. 
And it's like, okay, that, that makes sense. You know, the whole one knee thing is obviously so uh, popular now, especially yeah. in the pros. Um, but I do see a lot of catchers, like, it's so funny, like on Twitter, I'll see, I forget the name of the profile. Oh my gosh. This guy hates the one knee like movement. And I'm like, okay, why though? I'm so, no, you I'm don't need still, to hate it. Yeah. You I'm like, to, so to, what's the, yeah. Like what's the animosity toward like that? Cause clearly there's something that's like, being done right with it or it brings some value so it's like yeah there can't be like there's no one way to do it obviously so it's like why are we like why why is that such a problematic thing like i, I just don't understand that stance um but i now i understand why the one thing could be not as valuable at one level versus the other so yeah and i think it's i think it's all based on it's all based on what that pitch what that pitcher needs what mm -hmm. the game is telling us to do, how we should react, how you move as a catcher. I know for a fact that if I, I, when I got done catching, like one knee stances were not even a thing. Yeah. Every once in a while I do it just because I didn't have anybody on base and I just caught for six straight straight and I can't feel my legs, but yeah. you know, like if, if I would have moved better, if I would have put myself in a better position to uh, receive more strikes for my pitcher and mm -hmm. I could actually have someone tell me that I was an like analytically getting better, getting my pitcher better. Why wouldn't I do it? Right. You know, now right. with, and the reason why everybody's going on one knee, especially in pro ball is okay. If 80% of this game as a catcher is balls and strikes and trying to get maximized the strikes I get, mm -hmm. and I'm better when I'm in a one knee stance. Now let's build everything off of that. Can I block from this position? Can I throw from this position? Because mm. if this is where I'm multiple, like I'm at my best, let's build everything out of that rather yeah. than, okay, I'm going to be in a traditional, then I'm going to be in a one knee, then I'm going to be doing this. And then I'm going to be doing that. But if you are flexible, your flexibility, your athleticism, your, uh, your ability to get strikes, let's build everything around that. And let's make you a better thrower from that position, or let's make yeah. you a better throw a block blocker from that position. Mm -hmm. uh, instead of let's do all of it all the time. And now all of a sudden we don't even really know how to, how to, uh, how to judge or how to uh, analy analytically uh, decipher what is the right, what is wrong. Yeah. You know, like, like take for instance, like when you're on one knee and you don't block a ball, what says that if you were up, on in a traditional stance that you would have blocked that ball too you know like that's the big that's the big argument but i yeah it's on, i can't really I mean? do anything about that well yeah i'm trying to um I, i've i think my issue too is with social media is that everything is uh consumed in a vacuum you know essentially you know it's all so narrow i yeah. think i actually saw two clips i don't know if they were back to back but they were definitely on the same day it was one of the catcher setting up um he was setting up on one knee, but he had his glove like elevated or something, or maybe he started elevated and then like dropped down so that he could kind of prepare to like bring it or something. Yeah. And then the ball was thrown like way over his head. And the, yeah. the argument was like, how can this guy, if he's in one knee, he can't even get that ball up there. If he were in two, if he were on a two knee, he'd be able to jump up and get that ball. It's like, what's he even doing? Um, and then the next clip was Jonah Heim, you know, the Rangers, he's in one knee and he's yep. blocking beautifully off of one knee. And he probably even called that pitch to be in the dirt and he still yep. was in one knee and blocked it like it was nothing. So yep. I'm like, okay, cl clearly like those two opinions are so like, you know, 
different lanes, totally different lanes. It's the same right. stance. You know, you got a ball in the dirt and a ball up. It's like, obviously you got to prepare for both of those. Yeah. But like you can have success. So it's like, I don't know, like the, <laughs> I, I want to pull up that tweet now. I wish I could, because it was such a, honestly, like just outlandish, like hate yeah. for the one knee. And I'm like, I'm like, why, why, why are we? That's- that's a microcosm for everything that's happening in this country right now is, is if <laughs> yeah. I don't agree, if I don't agree with you, then I hate you, you know, yeah, it's, Rather all than being like, it's all personal, it's all personal. It's all, it's all, it's all, it's all, it, there's no, there's no gray area. It's either I like you or I dislike you based on what you believe in or what you're, what you're saying. Like, let's just, let's just say, okay, like this coaching staff believes that the one knee and getting into this stance for this pitch in this particular moment, the best setting up the best to succeed was that stance and did Mm -hmm. it work yes did it not work no okay well let's tweak it to figure out you know is there a better way to to teach it a better way to set yourself up Mm. the 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 yes no debate of one knee stances with catchers is not is not going away because people have beliefs and if you don't believe in it educate yourself on it so that you can have an intellectual conversation on why you believe it shouldn't be happening or why you believe that a traditional stance would create the same outcome or a different outcome. You can't do it. Hmm. So embrace it. Let's, let's, let's get to a common ground of like everybody. It's the same thing with, you know, uh, any type of coaching. Um, There's belief systems, there's way to believe it. There's, you know, and if, and if it doesn't align, then you fire the manager and you get a new staff in there and you change and you change it. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's still, there's still, there's, there's no, there's no right or wrong way to um, run an organization or run a program or uh, coach a team. As long as you're convicted in it and you have, you know, the trust in your players, then um, who's to, who's to tell you that you're right or wrong. Well, you made a really important uh, point and like distinction between what um, pros are doing and why they're doing it and what college, you know, uh, what's important in college for the catchers. And I think that might be where the big discourse is coming in because obviously you want your kids like to eventually, you know, a a high school player, right. You want to develop eventually into being, you know, a pro level guy. Like you want them to be able to get drafted and have projectability even in college to succeed at the pro level because that's what the pro scouts are looking at they're like all right like can he perform at this level like is it possible yes all right we'll draft you but if the if the priorities are different at the college and pro level it's like okay um how do we like like you said how do we maintain you know the you know the blocking and then uh blocking and throwing sort of aspect but also cater a little bit to the professional side where it's like yeah framing matters to catching obviously framing matters uh, and the athletic ability i guess uh that kind of goes with that when you have to block so i don't know i guess like like what does a high school player do with that information like what what's what's going to serve them better like should they focus on the blocking and throwing first um and i guess that kind of goes into like what's easier and harder to develop yeah so, you know? so yes. So this goes, this goes into the, almost the debate of um, in my mind is if you, if you as a program or you, it, any, anything you decide to do, let's say that we're going to mm-hmm. emphasize uh, 80% of the catching position is receiving. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're going to practice 80% of that. 
Okay. Um, if blocking is 10%, we're going to block 10% of the time. If we're going throwing out bases, it's 10%. We're going to work on it 10% of the time when we're practicing. Right. I don't, I think that you should practice the most important thing that is, is going to help your team win baseball games so that you don't have to think about it in the game. Yeah. So yeah. If receiving yeah. is, if receiving is, if we receive, if we're, if we're catching in a nine inning game and our mm. pitching staff throws 150 pitches, uh, I'm going to catch 110 of those, uh, 100 of those. I've got to make sure that I am practicing the receiving of the baseball so much that I shouldn't have to think about receiving the baseball. Mm -hmm. I should be thinking about the pitch I'm going to call next. I should be thinking about the runner that's on first base. I should be thinking about the umpire. I should be, there's other, like making the right call. Like if this Mm -hmm. ball's play, am I yelling one, 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 am I yelling two, two, two? Like, that we should be working on on things that happen in the game the most often so that we do it so routinely that it's almost like breathing you should yeah. work on receiving 80% of the time because 80 like 20% of the game we should not have to worry about it you know what i mean mm-hmm. we should have, we shouldn't have to worry about it if if we are so in tune with receiving it's something that we don't have to worry about in the game yeah if if it's the same thing with it's the same thing with um with hitting. Let's take for take for take for example of Josh Donaldson when he came out and was like, don't hit the ball on the ground, uh launch angle, this, launch angle, that. Mm-hmm. That's when everything started to turn with hitting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Josh Donaldson, before he started talking about that stuff, already raked in college, in minor leagues, and already won an MVP. He yeah. already could hit. He was a good hitter. He knew his body. He's seen thousands and thousands and thousands of pitches. He's taken thousands and thousands and thousands of swings. He could actually understand what his body's doing, and he could change some of that aspect. Mm -hmm. We have kids in high school that are trying to hit the ball in the air that aren't strong enough or have seen enough pitches to actually put a good swing on the baseball. Uh huh. That's a problem. Yeah. So – when we get players in here, we have all types of different players. We have all types of different backgrounds. The last thing I want to do is as soon as a player walks on campus, change everything. We have to have conversations. We have to have trust. We have to say, Hey, this is what's going to make you a good player. These are some drills that I think would really help you be a good player, but we also have to build the trust in there and make it a part of your everyday routine so that you have buy into that so that you can actually be the best baseball player. And there are steps in the process that are going to make you at some point, hopefully with strength, nutrition, uh, mechanics, mindset, approach, all those things that make a good hitter, a good pitcher, a good position player. There are Mm -hmm. steps in the process that will allow you to go, okay, now that I'm at this, at this age and at this uh, level of play, now I can up the ante. I can maybe go out and maybe I can work on a little bit better launch angle, or maybe I can, you know, on this pitch, in this particular setting, when I'm sitting on this pitch, I can take this type of swing. Mm-hmm. On the catching side, you have to be able to, first of all, at the high school level, be able to catch and receive consistently. And you have to be able to block. You have to be able to throw. You have to be able to be uh, a leader. You have to be able to know the have a, a level of baseball IQ to know what's happening in the game. So that you, when you get to the high, college, you can up the ante and up your game. Yeah. You're, if you don't have a basic level 
of yeah. understanding the camp, the catching position, mm-hmm. then what we're doing is we're just trying to get you to a base level and then starting to add on. So as a high school player, we are looking for recruits that have a high level of floor so that yeah. we can we can raise it. And as a recruiter, I'm going to recruit, try to recruit better players than we have already because our goal as a coach is to develop our players to get better. So that if we have a freshman class, the next class of seniors, I'm trying to recruit better players in that freshman class because our goal is to make sure that that freshman class gets better. So now you're bringing in a, a better player, hopefully a better higher level freshman so that everybody's pushing each other and, the, and it works and it, and it consistently moves the program better. Yes. But if you try to skip steps in that process, whether a coach, whether a player, if you're skipping steps, you will be exposed. At oh, some you're going to be exposed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. as a coach, you have to have a level grounding of like, hey, this is our curriculum. This is where you're at right now. This is where I need you to be a month from now. This is where I need you to be a year from now. And making sure we're not skipping steps in the process mm-hmm. so that we are going backwards or you are so out of control that you don't even know what you're doing on the baseball field. So now all of a sudden we got to bring in a transfer portal guy because you're not good enough. And it's mostly on me as a coach because I skipped steps. I allowed the player to skip steps. Mm. And now all of a sudden I'm, I didn't recruit the player that I thought I was recruiting and I didn't develop the player good enough to be able to con- continue on the progression of playing this game that we all love so adamantly. So I can think of a few of those foundational uh, skills that a player needs in order to just just handle their own as a pitcher at the college level, whether it yeah. be holding runners or time to play, yep. you know, fielding your position, like yep. all very foundational. Um, and they take no talent. Oh, those of course. You're talking not. about take zero talent. Of course not. That's all reps and it's a skill, you know, yes. it's, it's, it's reps. It's yep. uh it's comfortability. Um yep. But what, what are some hitting? I mean, I'm obviously, I don't know, you know, I'm pretty naive to the hitting foundation. So, I mean, yeah. do you have any of those where you're like, okay, yeah. Like when a player comes in, like we need those foundations built because I, I've seen it too. I've seen those players come in and they yep. don't have that foundation to be able to hold runners or to um, be quick to the plate. And they, they just suffer and they think what, like, what's wrong? Like I, I why am I not getting playing time? It's like the foundations, you do not have the yeah. foundation set yet. So. Yeah. so on the hitting side, the first thing that we always really look into um, is uh, bat to ball skills. Yeah, um, it's very similar. I don't know. I don't know if this is something that is universally known, but it's it's very similar to a pitcher with a massive head whack. You know, when they're pitching, they have oh, a mess. Like, that's one of the worst. That's one of the, the, the toughest things to get out of a pitcher's delivery. And it's tough yeah. to coach it out. Mm-hmm. So if if. If you don't have bat to ball skills and you have a massive in high school, if you have a lot more strikeouts than walks, mm-hmm. that, that's never going to go away. Yeah. Having high amount of strikeouts, no matter if you hit the ball 500 feet, having a massive amount of strikeouts at the high school level is only going to get worse once you get to college pitching and even worse when you get to pro ball. Hmm. So it's very, very hard unless there is a strength issue or a visual or issue where you need glasses. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like I've seen you that glasses and it changes you. Yeah. Uh, unless one of those things happens where it's a strength issue, a mechanical issue, uh, a major me- like mechanical issue. Um, mm. s- s- swing and miss is something that very rarely gets better with age. Yes. Um, so as soon as we see a hitter, we think that, you know, they might be a potential recruit. 
We'll go and we'll check their max prep stats, high strikeouts, more than, you know, more than 20% of the time, more than 15% of the time. Like that's, that's an issue. If you're striking out 40 times with a hundred at bats in your high school, it's not, it, it, it's probably not a good fit for us. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's something now based on your position, based like center fielder, if you want to be a center fielder at the next level, you have to, you have to run a certain, you know, you have to run, you have to be a good runner and, yeah. and it's, it's nothing that's like, Oh, you have to be a sub four, two runner down the first baseline, or you have to be a, a six, six runner. I've seen plenty of six, seven, six, nine center fielders that get great reads mm. uh, and they, they position themselves in the right spot and they, they know, they know where that hitter is hitting the ball. So they're already moving. So mm-hmm. it's a, there's a little discrepancy in that, but on the hitting side, we have to have uh bat to ball skills um, and we have to be a good mover. We have to be athletic. Um, mm. If you are, if you are a singles hitter or a potential doubles hitter and you don't run very well, how are you going to impact the game? You hit yeah. a single and you're standing at first base. I can't steal. You can't, we can't put a steal on. You're going to, it's going to need a double or more to score you from first base. So, you know, those things you want to try to limit those players on your roster. You know, mm. if you, if you hit for power, um, you can, we can, you know, maybe be a little less on the running side, but if you are a guy that it struggles to, to hit the ball over the fence or hit doubles, like you've got to be able to breed ball and dirt and steal a base or go first to third or move. So the athleticism has to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> our hitting philosophy is to lead the country in doubles. That's our hitting philosophy. If you ask any one of our hitters um, what our hitting philosophy is, they will they will tell you we are trying to lead the country in doubles. And that that philosophy means something different to each player. If you can hit a homer and you can drive the ball over the outfielder's head, we need you to do that. We Because a homer is two doubles. If you can hit a double and get to second base, that's a double. Now, mm-hmm. if you're a if you're a freshman center fielder that runs really well and you can lay down a bunt and then steal second base, that's a double. Counts, yeah. If you can, if you are, if you are, uh, if the wind's howling in and you can and you can get hit by a pitch or work or walk and then read a ball in dirt, that's a double. If you can understand that the left fielder doesn't have a very good throwing arm and you're on first base and there's a blooper that or a ball into the left center gap and you run in the outfielder's face and you go first to third, that's mm. a double. And we talk about those all the time. Because mm. the those are the things that are going to impact winning. Sitting around and waiting for a three-run homer or you know, laying down a bunt and then getting to first base and not knowing how to steal second base, that's not a weapon. I'd rather you take yeah. a chance on hitting a double and not not laying down a bunt. Like, you know, we're gonna put pressure on the defense all the time. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if you're getting hits or not. A double is not just getting a hit. So having the self-awareness on who you are and how you're going to impact the game, we are trying to maximize our lineup to increase the likelihood of hitting a double or yeah. creating a double. Yeah. So I guess I guess our, our hitting philosophy is creating doubles, maybe not leading the country in doubles, but creating doubles, whether that's hitting a single and stealing a base or – stealing have the ability to steal third and then have the infield be playing back and you're scoring a run that's a double you know the, the those 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 impact the game and guess what when the wind is blowing out and you're at at azusa pacific and the walls are at 190 feet we we need our dudes that can hit homers 
to hit homers. Yeah. Don't get me don't get me wrong. But we don't need our center fielder who runs a 6-6 to be trying to hit the ball into the air. That's not a good recipe for our team and mm-hmm. let alone going to help us in continuing to have 1 through 9 be pre- to, to to pressure the defense or yeah. pressure the pitcher for that matter. And it's such a big momentum mover. Any any of those creating doubles sort of uh, scenarios that you mentioned, those can fire up an offense and the dugout. Fire up an offense and they put more pressure on the defense. If yeah. our leadoff hitter grounds out to the shortstop to lead off the game and the shortstop comes up and like has to rush a throw and gets him bang, bang, and then the, now all of a sudden the seven-hole hitter does the same thing and it's bang, bang at first, the shortstop's going to be a little bit on edge to make sure that he's perfect mm. with his – is catching the ball cleanly, making a good throw, and maybe being a little bit quicker on doing so. Yeah. The more often that we can put pressure on each infielder, the more opportunities we're going to be able to, to put pressure on that defense to make errors, and we're going to pounce mm. on those. If you're a catcher, if I if I was a catcher and I knew that there was an aggressive t- team that are running ball and dirt, like I'm trying so hard to maybe – make sure that I'm blocking the ball softly and it's right in front of me that I'm not allowing them. Now all of a sudden I'm more cognizant of blocking than I am receiving. And I might be taking strikes away from my pitcher. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to be perfect with my blocks and maybe I'm trying to, maybe, maybe I, I try to pick one and now all of a sudden it's a, now it's a pass ball instead of a wild pitch. Mm-hmm. So all those things, all those things impact winning. Yeah. I mean, and like you said, how your your offense too has to be like versatile and uh, it's always, you know, changing, especially like in a college season. It's not like you're going to start the same nine guys every single time. Like you got to be able to adjust on the fly too in terms of yeah. like playing more than nine guys out there as well. Yeah. Um, you know, actually, I am curious now, do you guys have the same roster size as D1 as well, where it's like 40? Like how does that, how's that working? Unlimited rosters. Unlimited? Yeah. Oh God. Okay. I didn't know so there's that. teams, there's teams in California that have 60 or 70 guys on their roster. So how does that work? What did they, they, like, they, they don't play. There's a bunch of players that go there and they realize that they're not ever going to play unless they're good enough. Oh, well, I guess I could stay and kind of, you know, what do they redshirt or are they just not on the team? Like they, 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 there was multiple guys that I was recruiting during the summer um, last year, trying to get them to come to Westmont. And they decided to go to other schools and they didn't even end up getting a jersey. They just either redshirted or they didn't even they didn't even play. So, so I mean do homework. Do your homework. You got to do your homework yeah. on what the roster looks like. It's 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 the easiest thing you can do is just pull up a roster and just see how many people on the roster. Now, mm-hmm. full disclosure, we've got 48 guys on our roster right now, and we brought in a big we brought in a big class. I'm not there's returners that are on this on this team that I'm not running out of here. Um, I think it's important that we give everybody an opportunity that they were given. Um, do I want a smaller roster? Yes. Does our school need the enrollment? Yes. Um, do I, do I want to have tough conversations with people? No, but I, I want to push them to be better players and I want Mm -hmm. them to push and rise above and bet on themselves. Um, but I want a smaller roster just because I want it. Like I, I talked earlier about value, the value of our players off the field is, equal to me i Mm. want to have an impact on their lives if we Mm. have too many players where i can't get to everybody and there's things that are happening away from the field to some of our players that i don't know about that hurts me so i want to be able to have a personal relationship with every single one of my players if 
our players are so at each other because they want to fight for playing time. That doesn't breed a good culture. Mm. And so uh, we have the ability as a coach to impact a lot of lives. And if we stretch ourselves too thin with having too big of a roster, then um, that's not going to be a benefit to anybody in our program. And uh, I actually was talking about this with Scotty, you know, Scotty, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. We were talking about the decision that a kid have, might have to make of whether or not to go to a four-year that might not be like his dream goal, um, like initially, but it's right. the best fit for him currently yeah. or to go junior college at a high school and, you know, quote unquote, bet on himself in the hopes that yeah. he can improve and get, you know, um, more opportunities. And I was in the camp of, oh, dude, go junior college and bet on yourself. Sure. That's what I did. Yeah. I, but, but then again, I also bounced from a four-year first yeah. and Scotty's side, you know, he was like, well, you know, look at what you did. You know, you went to your four-year first, you can always fall back to junior college. And right. even uh, we've all seen scenarios, or at least you and I have, where a kid might go to a four-year first, he doesn't get the playing time that he wants. And it's not, he doesn't have an injury or anything, or it's, there's nothing wrong. It's just, you know, he's not getting the playing time. Maybe he goes to junior college and then comes back, you yeah. know, to that same program. Like there's always that possibility too. So I kind of agree with Scotty. I'm like, all right, yeah, you should definitely go to that four-year university because they want you for a reason. And if it doesn't work out that first year, that's okay. You can go junior college, come back. You know, like that's, that's always a possibility. Maybe not, but you want to fall back into that junior college side. I mean, I don't know what's your, what's your take on that. Have you, have you thought about that at all? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, my mind goes to no matter what decision you make, there is so much work that needs to be done. Oh, in both scenarios for sure. So, so I think that, if you if you have the perception of I'm going to go to school A and if it doesn't work out there, then I can go and fall back to a junior college. You're already you're already getting like a built in excuse. Yeah, you are of yeah. like you're not all like if I'm if I would rather have a player dive in full full fledged. This is what I want to do hmm. and leave nothing to chance. And if I have no regrets and it didn't work out, then I fall back to going to a junior college or going to another four year or, or going to the transfer portal. Hmm. I think that, I think that having the one foot in one foot out, you will ultimately have regrets with not putting in the work that you think you, you need to do, whether that's hmm. right or wrong. That's just, that's the way I was, I was raised. That's yeah. the way that I, um, that's the way that I went in on everything that I did. I didn't want to leave anything to chance. If you would have known me in high school, uh, as a baseball player, you would have laughed at me. If I, if I told you that I was going to play pro ball for 10 years and play four years of triple a baseball and play in the world baseball classic, you would have laughed, hmm. but something, when I went to UC Davis, I tried out with 120 guys. There was first two days of school. The, the coaching staff had no idea who I was. I tried out yeah. and I given an opportunity. I was not given a lot of opportunities that fall to play in scrimmages. I would fill in at the end of games. I would, if someone went to class, I'd fill in. But if I made that an excuse of like, oh, well, they're not really giving me an opportunity mm. and that's why I struck out or that's why I made an error. Like I would have, I would have regretted every opportunity that I was ever presented. 
Um, mm-hmm. I maximized, you know, getting, having a good senior year in college and getting a, a chance to play pro ball. I tried to play harder than every other catcher that was starting ahead of me because being a, being a non-drafted catcher, um, I was always the backup catcher, um, to mm-hmm. the first rounder that got 800 grand. Um, so I could either sit there and be like, oh, well, I only play once or twice a week and, you know, I don't get consistent at bats and I'm not, you know, I'm always catching bullpens. Like I never let that be an excuse. Hmm. So I'm of the ilk that you make the bed that you sleep in. Yeah. And, and if you, if you feel like you want this opportunity to go to school a go at it with everything that you have and don't leave any thing to chance Mm-hmm. And then if it doesn't work out at that school, then you reassess after that happens. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry if it, if it rubs people the wrong way, or if it's not something that other people believe in, but having mm-hmm. the one foot in one foot out um, is not something that I'm, I'm, I subscribe to. And, you know, it might be easier to identify in some cases uh, more than others, but, but sometimes you can tell you can tell when someone's not fully bought in. You can, oh, you can it. see, you can you see can it all. You it. see it all over the place. And yeah. I'm, that that's, that's, that's something that we, I don't want to have to call it out in our program. I want our, I want our players to call each other out on it. And mm-hmm. we, I stole this from, um, I stole this from this, uh, the Phoenix Suns head coach um, that he says, we don't call people out. We call people up. And we call people up to the standard. Like if you are yeah. one foot out or you're not all bought in, like we're going to call you up. We're going to call you up to this program because this program could b- provide things for you that you never thought you could provide for yourself. Hmm. And so if we're calling you up and we're holding you accountable to the standards of what this program is, um, then you won't be one foot out or one foot in. You will be all in or you will be all out and you will no longer be part of this program. There's no, there's no middle ground here. You're either on the bus with us or you're not, you're not going to be here anymore. And so we don't, we ultimately are not going to cut players. The the players cut themselves because they don't fit in with the standard and expectations of what this program has been is right now and will be in the future. That is very uh, similar to what I experienced in pro ball. Like yeah. there is a guy not like you, you could tell he's just bad attitude or whatever it yeah. is. It's like sit on the bench, dude. Like, yeah. like you're not, you're not, you didn't earn that playing time. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It didn't even matter if some of the time, like what, what, uh, you know, round he went or the signing bonus yeah. he had. It was like, yeah. we don't tolerate that. You know, like if, if you yeah. want a glimpse in a pro bowl, that's, I feel like that is so apparent and like so, uh, prioritized too. Yep. But, did you experience that too? Is that something you learned maybe uh, in professional uh, baseball? It was the it was something in pro ball where the guys that were playing were the were the bonus were the high rounders. <laughs> so if you were if you were a low rounder, this is back when there was a fifty round draft and there was non drafted yeah. free agents and you had to earn everything that you got. Um, whereas a first rounder could go zero for twenty and still be in the lineup the next day. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, every opportunity that I ever got, I didn't want there to be an excuse of not playing enough or not working hard enough or, you know, uh, you know, if I, if I don't perform, I don't have a job the next year. Whereas yeah. if a first rounder hits 100 in a ball, he's going to get another opportunity the next, the next year. Whereas I'm not mm. going to get that opportunity. 
So in professional baseball, was there a, a commonality you saw amongst like the really successful hitters or players where you're like, okay, uh, this is something that I should probably pick up on and start doing myself as well. Consistency, consistency, yeah. it, the, the consistency of every day, not, um, not so much, uh, uh, emotional ups and downs, um, mm. the ability to, uh, make adjustments pitch to pitch, not at bat to a bat or game to game. Um, the consistency of of confidence in one's um, ability was always apparent. And I had the benefit of being in the Giants minor league system when they were winning their three World Series. Um, yeah. And it was not – there was two reasons why that happened. And one is they had amazing players that they drafted uh, from 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008. But all those players – were winners. We we constantly won in the minor leagues and they knew what it took to win, but they also we the organization was also had the play, had the good enough players to do it with, if that makes sense. So when you mm. when you take a group of players that are winners and know what it takes to win and they are really good physically and talented yeah. wise, you win World Series. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, if you're uh, if your your culture is right and you uh, don't develop and you have you know or you have a bad culture, it's going to take a lot of luck to to win baseball games. I don't I don't prescribe to trying to be lucky every day. I want to continue to have mm. uh, a culture that breeds the ability to have freedom to try new things and and push yourself to limits that you can't you've never thought you had. Um, but also as a coach, I'm that safety net that catches. Um, and sometimes even your teammates are the safety net to catch you when you when you try something and fail mm. to lift them back up rather than falling to, straight to the ground. I've heard that that has actually been a, a pretty. I don't want to say worldwide, but. A big change, at least a big change in trend in terms of how a team uh, interacts with each other. You know, it's it's a lot more collaborative. Yeah. And um like you said, there's a lot more communication, a lot more freedom for the players. Yeah. Did you have you seen that change as well? Like from your playing days, now going into into being a coach, and, and especially you know with the differing kind of perspectives by by changing those roles. Like, have you did you see that change, that progression as well? Yeah, uh, I think it, it it all starts at the top. It starts with a clear vision of what each organization, what each program, what each team. Hmm. Uh, wants the product to look like and the product is not the wins and losses it's mm. what it's how you go about your business it's the uh the infrastructure and the day-to-day -day, uh usage of um time um it is uh from the top down of consistency of of authentic character um that if it's is as a head coach or uh, anybody in this, in a, a position of power, um, if you're inconsistent, if you don't have a clear vision, none of the people that are underneath you, I, for example, players will ever understand what is asked of them. Hmm. So as a head coach, if you're authentic in who you are, who your character is and what you stand for, and you're consistent with that, your players, your uh, assistant coaches, 
uh, will know exactly what's expected of them every day. And they will come and they will have uh, an awareness of falling short that day and not making it a trend. Hmm. Yeah, this is kind of like, God, what's the, <clears throat> this is a psychology thing. It's when you, you know, what you're saying you want to do aligns with what your actual behaviors are. Yep. Um, gosh, it's not cognitive dissonance, is it? That might be oh. when you don't do it, when you, yep. when they don't yes. align. Yes. Uh, yeah. So we, we, we talk a lot about commitment in our program and commitment is, is, uh, is sticking to what you said you were going to do, even when the mood that you set it in has, um, has passed. Yeah. Uh, so everybody can be really excited about your first team meeting and talking about all these things we're going to do. And everybody goes out and the first week is energetic and everything's great. But what do you, what happens when you are faced with adversity for the first time? And then how do you bounce back from that? If, mm -hmm. if what you talked about and what you're committed to, is it something that you continually talk about and you're consistent with it, then none of it ever matters. Mm -hmm. Did you know you always wanted to be a coach even when you were a player? Um, it, it slowly started to come just the way that I watched the game and felt the game and played the game when I was in high school. Like I was so competitive that I probably lost friends over it. Um, I was so competitive. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. 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 I did not want to, it started in little league where I did not want to show up the next day to school and have anybody that I was playing against laugh because I lost or make fun of me or, just have something over the top of me. I just was so competitive and I wanted to have, mm. I wanted to have control of that. And I, I never felt like I had control as a player because no one was as competitive as I was. So hmm. getting into the coaching side, or at least going to college where you have like-minded individuals that are, you know, not just playing because it's a high school sport or their parents made them, or, you know, everybody's kind of like-minded in college. And then you get to pro ball and everything, everything's a business and everybody's, competitive because they want to move up to the big mm -hmm. leagues. Um, but getting into the coaching, I felt like I have a little bit more of an impact on the competitiveness of each player mm -hmm. and being able to communicate that and set it up in a sense of, of also creating young men to be becoming men. Um, it's something that during my college experience, I was given the opportunity to have a place where I could grow lifelong friendships and grow as a person. And that's what I want to do for our players here at Westmont. Can you think of something um, that your first year coaching self did where you, if you could go back in time, you would, yeah. you would maybe change it or, or just give a little piece of advice to that first year coaching self and say like, Hey, like I went straight, I went straight from playing to coaching. So like I literally was mm. With less than a year of of playing in AAA baseball, like I was a coach, and so I remember, uh, I'm 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 coaching at San Francisco State, and we're playing against a team, and 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 one of the one of the players on the other team just misses a ball, and he spikes his bat down, and it bounces up and hits our catcher, and I like, <laughs> I freaked, I like, I didn't freak out, like the, our head coach kind of had to like hold me back because I was like kind of like don't do that. You know, like if, if that happened in pro ball, like that's benches are clearing and like stuff like that. So like, I had to like, I had to grow and just understand, like I'm a coach now and I'm a center figure. Like I need to, I need to set the tone on what it's supposed to look like. Mm. And I let that emotion of being a player set me off into saying like run to first base, like stop spiking the bat. Um, 
And, you know, those instances come into play a lot where I'm, you know, um, I also have to communicate better with, with presenting a clear vision of, of what, um, what is right and not right and wrong, but what is, what is, um, utmost of importance in our program. Mm. And those moments leading up to that, um, set me up into the coach I am today. Um, so just being mm -hmm. able to take a step back and letting our players here at Westmont play with a freedom because they practice really, really hard. And I want the game to be something where I don't have to coach at all. I put, I hmm. try to put our players in the best position to, to succeed hmm. and catch them when they don't, when, when it doesn't go their way and be able to lift them up when it doesn't go their way and be hmm. able to maybe sometimes humble them a little bit and not let the, the wins and the successes get stacked up too much that we forget about the process that it got us there. Um, hmm. So getting back to, we talked to it a couple of times, but just staying neutral and being, being not too high and not too low, um, mm -hmm. you know, being supportive when, when things aren't going right and not maybe not being um, so aggressive with, you know, maybe holding a standard or, or feeling like I need to uh, push really, really hard. Mm. Um, on the same time, when you're winning a lot of games, you know, sometimes those little details get overlooked because you're winning games. Yeah. Um, so being a head coach that kind of notices those things and being like, okay, like you're running really hot right now. And the reason why you're running really hot is because you're under control and you're not swinging at bad pitches because it's probably very similar to you when you feel like you're in the zone on the pitching, like you could throw any pitch at any time and it's going to be a strikeout or a, a strike or, a, you know, a guy getting out. It's the same thing with a hitter. When I feel like I'm running hot, like I can hit any pitch that the pitcher throws. And now all of a sudden you do that and you're over three with three K's and you're like, Oh, what just happened? Yeah. So being able to, as a coach to understand that and be able to, mm -hmm. to provide that for our players, um, to provide a safe place for them to express themselves when things are going right, when things are going wrong and bring them back to neutral with mm -hmm. positive encouragement um, or the ability to just grow their own, their own uh, faith um, in what they're doing. So, and that's definitely easier said than done. Uh, did you just get better at that from experience? Is that, is that the best way to, to just learn? Yeah. Just yeah. experience experience. Um, I've, I've watched a lot of baseball games, being a, being a minor league backup catcher, like you are watching <laughs> so many games. Like I spent more mm -hmm. times on the bench than I did actually playing minor mm -hmm. league baseball. Um, if I would have just sat there and just relaxed and not been locked in on what I was seeing or what I was hearing or been around great coaches or been around not so great coaches, um, you know, you learn and you watch and you observe. And I think as mm -hmm. players, as players, especially as, you know, high school players or college players that are trying to play college baseball or trying to get recruited, the best thing you can do is watch baseball and not just watch the highlights. Anybody can watch, put on SportsCenter or MLB Network and just watch the highlights or just throw, scroll, scroll through Twitter and watch all the highlights. Like actually watch the game. When you're not in the game, you have the ability to see everything that's happening. And if you're not watching it, you're missing out on a lot of what this game of baseball can do for you. Mm. That's so true. I remember as a kid, like watching a full baseball game was like one of my favorite things to do. No doubt. And like, no I, doubt. I don't know. I, I don't personally do it anymore a whole lot just because obviously I got, I'm doing other things now, but like that would definitely be a piece of advice I'd give to young kids is like, try to watch a full game. Like try to watch between pitches what's going on. Yeah. Like procedurally. Oh, yeah. Um, is um, if you weren't coaching, 
is there something you you know you'd be doing? Um, have you thought about that at all? You said you went straight from playing into coaching. So yeah, sounds like you didn't have a whole lot of time to think about it, or maybe you just knew you wanted to get into coaching. But if, if there had to be anything, uh, yeah. So what would so that be? so go, going to college, I I went to UC Davis because I didn't get into Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, hmm. um, and one of the reasons why I didn't get into Cal, Cal uh, UC Davis and not Cal Poly was uh, I wanted to be a journalism major hmm. um, and get into broadcasting. And uh, mm. at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, that's an impacted major. So they had already had enough people and they weren't allowing other applicants to get into that program. So I was hmm. uh, uh, I was denied my application. So I went to UC Davis as a communications major and it was n- not about journalism or sports <laughs> broadcasting. So I always wanted to be on Sports Center. I always wanted to be comment- commentating games. Like, to be honest with you, if, if there was mm. a if there was something that I could do in the summer and, 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 uh, commentate, uh, regional games at, you know, uh, the NCAA regionals, uh, commentate in the dugout, of or in the booth at Omaha, um, that, that's something that I want to want to do. Um, I'm enthralled with MLB central. Um, I love that mm-hmm. show. I uh, watch it every morning, um, being a baseball commentator and talking the game and very similar to the conversation we're having now, like, those little intricate, intricate things of what's happening with the game mm. um, and being able to talk through those things. Like I love talking about the previous game with our players the next morning. Like, yeah. why did I do this? And why did I do that? And why did it, why did we, why did I go to this pitcher and not this pitcher? And why did I pinch hit this? And mm. why did I do that? Like, I'd love talking about mm. those, those types of things. So I would probably be, commentating or on sports center or doing something like that interesting i feel like i should have picked up on that now that yeah. i now that we have this conversation i should have picked up on that <laughs> i can see it i can i feel like that they actually should probably do something along those lines because um i mean they they're doing it at least with the nfl where it's like all right you're a, a retired qb yeah hey yeah. come come call the game yeah, come to the booth come to the it, booth yeah easy i mean you guys yeah. know it better than just about anybody in terms of what right. goes on right so yeah, they're doing the baseball too. They're doing baseball too, but that's, you know, that's an interesting idea. You just brought it. You kind of sparked an idea right there. Hmm. Yeah. There you go. Interesting. Okay. I've got a few questions left. And yeah. so two about Westmont and then, and then one yeah. uh, that I ask every coach, it's, it'll yeah. be the last one, but yeah. I want to ask about a favorite aspect uh, about the school. So not the program, but about the school that you yep. have that maybe not a lot of people would know about. And sure. then the same as that question, but just about the program. So, so about, about Westmont guy. So I went to UC Davis. I was at three state schools as an assistant coach, um, at UC Davis. Uh, most of my classes were anywhere between 200 and 500 people, um, a lecture, Mm -hmm. uh, professor speaking at us, um, at Westmont, our professor to student ratio is one to 12. Um, so. Oh my. Okay. Yeah. Yes. That's important. So you're going to have, you're going to have a personal relationship with your professor Mm. Um, our professors, um, our teachers, um, at UC Davis, our professors were, uh, doing, um, doing research, uh, doing, writing their own books. Um, Mm -hmm. our, our teachers, our professors here are, uh, if they want to go do research, they take a sabbatical. So they're actually invested in you. I don't think I ever had a relationship with any of my professors. Mm. Professors here are writing letters of recommendation upon graduation to get our, our students, better jobs, 
uh, more inclined for them to support you in a way that you need to be supported individually. Mm. Um, we're all different learners. Um, but Westmont, the school is so supportive with so many uh, areas of support, um, whether it's tutors, whether it's office hours, whether it's just being in class, um, mm. the school is is second to none with the support system that they have to support their students to graduation and to be prepared for what life after Westmont. Um, on the mm. baseball side, um, our players love each other so much um, and they care for each other on and off the field. Um, there's 1,200 students that go to Westmont. Uh, we have, like I told you, we have 48 players. So um, everybody knows who the baseball team is, um, but we take care of each other in a way of, um, whether it's on the faith side, we have a, a men's group that meets every Monday night. That's totally player driven. Um, that does Bible studies. Hmm. Um, and it's something that our guys, um, consistently do. It's been going on here for quite some time that I'm really excited about. Um, but the one, the one thing that, that has changed from when I played, I, I wasn't a, a big cheerleader, wasn't a big rah, rah guy. I was more of a, um, you know, lead by example guy. We have some we have some chants and some sayings that we do after home runs that are very specific to our team and our team loves it. It's something that I wouldn't be like, hey, stop doing that because of the way that our we our players react to it and mm. and and feel about it. You know, it's not something that's inorganic. It's very organic the way that our guys joke around with each other, the way that we have fun, mm. um, the way that they communicate with each other. There's some wit, there's some wittiness to it, there's some there's some some old school, um, I guess for lack of a better term, there's just some witty one-liners that just get the team back to being each other. If yeah. That makes sense. yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, cause, uh, well, was it too lame? Like we had a few things that we'd do and I, it would always fire me up anytime we, yeah. you know, we got together and like, you know, made each other laugh a little bit sometimes or, you know, score a run, like get the energy going. Like, yeah, yeah. it's, and it's it has huge. to be, it has to be very, it has to be very team oriented. Cause I've been a part of teams and mm. I, as a player or as a coach where you see like 10 to 12 guys do it, but then there's like 10 to 12 guys that are like, Oh my gosh, we're doing that again. It's, <laughs> it's very, it's very much the whole collective yeah. team is like, yes, this is, this is why we do it. Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's, I love that about college baseball too. Yeah. That is so different from pro it's yeah. about, um, okay. Last question uh, yeah. that I have for you. I ask every guest this. Yeah. Um, if you could give a experience that you have had on the recruiting trails that it kind of highlights what that role is like, um, what, what the, um, what the role can bring in terms of, uh, just maybe some absurdities, you know, with things that could happen while you're traveling, or it could even be a visit, um, that, you know, where you had a player on campus and something weird happened, something fantastic happens something you know very out of the ordinary um just an absolute train wreck of of an experience and obviously you don't have to name names but just something to kind of like highlight um and illustrate like what what that kind of uh um variability that role and and sort of part of the job brings uh for you um yeah Aside from the impact that we have as a, as a coach of either getting 
you know, graduated players, you get invites to their weddings. Um, you get, hmm. uh, you get uh, references. Uh, you're you're used as a reference, or you know, like one of our players from Sac State. Like I've had multiple firefighting uh, fire chiefs reach out to me about um, our one of our ex players that graduated from. Um, but on the recruiting side, so um, I, I guess if you look at our roster, you'll know exactly who this is. But we had a we had a player that could have come in um, in January this past year. Um, because uh, being an NAI in Division Two, you can add it. You can add players to your roster over the Christmas break. You can't do that at the Division One level. So we had a player come on a visit. Amazing visit. We had a fit. Um, we offered them. We offered a, a scholarship. Uh, he actually committed to us, and then decided to go back to the school that he was previous previously at. Hmm. Um. We, we obviously go on to win the national championship and, and uh, about five days after we get the national championship, um, we get, I get, I get a, like a video text of, Hey coach, congratulations. Loved watching you guys play. Um, it was really fun to watch you guys. And, and, uh, and, and in full honesty, like I made the worst decision of my life and, um, I hope that I can, you know, I'm in the portal again. I want to come to Westmont. Um, I I made a terrible decision on going back to the, my previous school. Um, and um, hopefully you guys still have a fit for me because I want to be a warrior. And hmm. so far, so far, um, that player has been such an impactful player in our program, um, not only on uh, his teammates, but on recruits that come on visits, um, mm. he is, uh, he's humble. Um, he's eager to, to work and be a part of what this program is. Um, you know, this, this play Westmont is a very fit based school with our faith, right. uh, with our, uh, non-denominational Christian, um, college aspect, um, and when I say that this place is, is bigger than baseball, it truly is. Um, baseball will prepare our players. We'll put, baseball will prepare our players um, for life after baseball more than it actually prepares them to play the game that we're playing. Mm. Um, and the, the earlier that our players understand that, the more that they're going to see success on the field. Um, and to have players come on recruiting visits and and I tell the I tell our recruits all all the time this. I tell them that when they commit to a school, it should feel like Christmas Day. Hmm. And whether it's here at Westmont or whether it's somewhere else, I know exactly who we are as a program, and that's what they usually see on a visit. And if it's a fit, they know exactly what they're getting themselves into, and it, it should feel like Christmas Day. Hmm. Uh, and if it doesn't feel like that, then you're making a decision for the wrong reasons. Um, and it doesn't have to be Westmont. It, it could be anywhere. And I'm still going to be a huge fan of everybody that we recruit. Um, and I want to see them succeed on wherever they decide the right fit to be. Um, but I know that when we bring in players, that their life is going to be impacted more off the field than on the field at, the, at, this, at, this, uh, at this school and in this community. I've had that experience before, um, both actually, where I've I've chosen a school and it yeah. didn't feel like Christmas Day. Yeah, 
and where I and where I chose a school and it did feel like Christmas Day. Yeah. And uh, you can probably you follow my career, you can probably see which ones were which, you sure. know. That's sure. so funny. I never really thought about it like that. But as you were talking about it, I thought about how I felt in those moments picking those schools. Yeah. And I'll say this, the other one, the other feeling uh, where it doesn't feel like Christmas Day, it feels like you just kind of lifted a weight off your shoulders a little bit. Yep. You know, took some pressure off. Yeah. That's that's not the, the reason. That's not the feeling you want. <laughs> no. So that's that's our goal. Huh. That's our goal as a program. That's our goal is as is to is to continue to push um, our players to just be incredible human beings, hmm. uh, push themselves to be the best baseball player, the best um, follower, follower of Christ um, and uh, and be a, an amazing teammate. If you're if you come in here and you you are not a good teammate and you are in it for the wrong reasons, you you will your teammates, you'll see your teammates will see that really quickly. Mm. Yeah. There's no hiding. Nope. There is no hiding from that. No. Okay. Tyler, that, that was everything that I have. I think even in, even though we cut, co- I think we covered everything. We probably yeah. could have gone for even longer. No doubt. No doubt. It was, I mean, this is great. Um, yeah. You'll have to come on again and I'll reload with a whole new subset of questions. You got it. You got it. Anytime, anytime you uh, want to talk, uh, talk, life or uh anything mm-hmm. i'm all i'm all for it all for it well thank you for coming on that'll thank be the last thing i say yeah yeah absolutely um and that's gonna do it so thank you. that that was great um and i'll talk to you really briefly after i sign off right here okay. but that is gonna do it for this episode of player to prospect and we will see you next week <laughs>